Bismillahirrahmanirrahim wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Peace and love. Thank you for coming back to the Travelers Podcast. I'm Brother Ali. The thing that I love about this podcast is just being able to connect with people and to be able to share those connections with the world and with the people that listen to us. And so we call it the Travelers because we're co-travelers and we need each other the same way that the bodies need sun and water and rest and all this kind of stuff. The human heart needs to be with other people. Uh, our intellect needs each other. Our egos need to bump into each other. Our spirits need to recognize each other. All of this stuff that happens between people is really important. And we talk to cultural leaders and we talk to artists and we talk to you know, thought leaders and spiritual leaders. We've had Chuck D on this program. We've had Rezma Menikim. We've had Ilhan Omar. We've had Amir Suleiman. We've had, you know, so many incredible people. Jane Elliott, Cornell West, Sa Rock, you know what I'm saying? Maimuna Youssef, Mumu Fresh, and a lot of super dope people to come. But the one that we have with us today is really a prime example of, you know, one of the many reasons that I wanted to do this show. But you know, he's an amazing MC. He's just a truly, truly incredible lyricist in every measurable uh, way of judging that. Uh, you know, Locksmith is somebody who can get on the mic and kill it on Sway, you know, and he's done it over and over and over again. I invite you to check those out. And, and you know, rhyming in the, in the backseat of a car holding a mic or, you know, in, in those situations where it's time to get bars off, he's delivering like nobody else. And he also is doing it with an incredible message. Uh, he can do such a variety of different styles and topics and tempos and you know rhythms. He can do he can rhyme on trap beats. He can rhyme on old school beats. He can rhyme on you know double time, half time, bounce type of situations, you know fast and slow and everything in between. But not only that the variety and the breadth of the things that he's talking about is just really incredible. He touches on social issues, but he also touches on personal issues. And it's very rare that somebody that can just kill it on the mic can also have a variety of subjects. And then also be, for, for those people to have that and also be able to really bear their soul and to be vulnerable and to really let us inside is amazing. And a lot of those people, there's two things about them. A lot of those people that are some of the most amazing ones that I know, and I consider myself one of those people, but we're living just outside the spotlight. And we never want to disparage the people that support us or like hate on the level of success that we have. Because a lot of times we're able to feed ourselves and our families doing what we love to do. And that's, that's the real goal. In all reality, that's the real goal. But it's difficult knowing that there that there's so much, you know, media and content and music and entertainment and culture being consumed, and it feels like we're being held out of it. It feels like we're being intentionally kept out. And so, Locksmith is one of those people, you know. And some of those people are legend. All of them, really, all of us in that are legendary to the people that know and appreciate what we do, you know. I don't think Farrell Monch gets the credit he deserves, but Farrell Monch is in people's top fives, as he should be. I don't think Black Thought gets the credit he deserves. You know what I'm saying? I don't think, and then the artists that, a lot of the artists that are on this show, and I hope that that both of them come on the show, uh, but a lot of the people that are on this podcast, you know, if you've been in a room with Maimuna Yusuf, 
you know that like Amir Suleiman says, and he's another one, you know, Amir always tells Dave Chappelle when Dave is like, you know, Dave always wants me to do Uncle Sam, goddamn. He likes that song. It makes me really happy. And it's dope when when somebody like a Dave Chappelle or, um, you know, I know someone else that does this with old school artists is Russell Peters. The, the great comedian Russell Peters is really like has become a patron of old school artists. You know what I'm saying? And that's a beautiful thing. Um, but when somebody like a Dave Chappelle says, no, you deserve to be on the same stage as me. That's really dope. But it's been, it's very, very rare. You know what I'm saying? Um, but so for artists like that, uh, you know, to to be slightly outside the spotlight. But then the other thing is that so many of those artists are beautiful human beings. Like they're, they're, the person that they are is even more incredible than the art that they make. And their art is elite. Their art is apex art. And, um, you know, Locksmith is one of those people. You'll hear in the interview as we get to talking a couple of things. One is that... Um, when we we did a show together, not that uh, just a, uh, two weeks ago or something, and I ran up and hugged him and was like, "Yo, it's so good to see you, man." Salamu alaikum. You know, we're talking, and he was like, "Yo, it's good to meet you." And I'm like, "Yo, have we never met before? Like, how bizarre is that?" You know what I'm saying? And you'll hear as we talk, we got a, a lot of friends in common. Uh, you know, the locksmith is from Richmond in the Bay, and I actually lived in the Bay for a while. Um, Another thing that that's really whack and unfortunate is like I'm really happy to be back in Istanbul, but what happens on occasion here is that the internet is it's not that they don't have great Wi-Fi in Istanbul, um, but in my it it really varies based on neighborhood and even by building, and so the building that I'm in sometimes the internet is lacking. It just is the case. Like I have the best internet that's available here, and it's ill because across the street is a hotel that used to be a, a hospital. So that hotel has the dopest internet in this neighborhood. And there's times where I'd be like, man, should I just go check in? Should I just get a room at the hotel for this episode? But there's a part there, like our conversation between me and Locksmith, there's a delay. And it it's unfortunate because it messes up the flow of conversation. You know, when you're having an intimate, you know, uh, casual conversation with somebody, a lot of times you want to respond immediately, but just knowing that there's that delay there, it kind of slowed down some of that. But it does not take away from really being able to shine a light on and be, you know, how beautiful a human being Locksmith is and how dope his art is, how interesting his story is. Like he's one of these people that is just truly a, a treasure and a gift to us all, to the culture, to us as, you know, fans of the of the art form of rhyming and songwriting and all the and emceeing. He's also an amazing performer. So he's a gift in that way, but then also the human being that he is, just in this community. You know, we almost we were we were looking at opportunities to tour together. And I called Merce, because I know Merce is a mutual friend. And Merce went on and on and on and on about how beautiful this brother is. And so it's it's great to connect with him and it's great to be able to share it. We hope you enjoy. We're brought to you as always by the Zakat Foundation and our kind of newer uh, sponsor and partner on the show is Udimentary and then also by Resma Menikim's new book, The Quaking of America. We hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. It's so crazy because when I met you the other day, we finally played together and we have been communicating for a while. But when I saw you, I was like, yo, good to see you. And you were like, no, good to meet you. 
because I felt like yeah, we've yeah. known each other for a long time. Like I, I just feel you feel like somebody I've known forever. Yeah, uh, it was crazy, man. It was good to uh, finally connect. But yeah, there definitely was like, like yo, I've been knowing this guy for a long time, but it was actually our first time meeting face to face. So it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely great, great experience, man. Yeah, man, million, a lot of uh, shared experiences and friends in common, and and what have you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think the it what seems like the best place to start is your parents. So your mother is originally from Tennessee and then lived in Chicago on the south side of Chicago and then ended up in Richmond. Yeah. And your mom's an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, mom mom was the first person um, from that side of the family to come from the Midwest to California. So uh, my grandmother, grandfather, they were in Tennessee, Lebanon, Tennessee. Um, mom migrated up... Uh, north to michigan first i believe and then from michigan to chicago and then from chicago um moved to california so she was like the first person yeah from this that side of the family you know as a lot of african americans kind of like migrated west um they came from the south went up you know to the midwest a little bit and then went all the way um all the way west to california and did she go straight to the bay she came to berkeley met my pops and then they lived in berkeley for a while and kind of moved around a little bit, then finally like uh, settled in uh, Richmond, Richmond mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that she did hair. Did she, am I right in, in understanding that she had her own salon? Yeah, mom's was an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. I can rem- uh, she started that when I was still in grammar school, I want to say, because I, I remember as a kid, there was nobody to like pick me up or get home, like to get home from school. So like on certain days of the week, I would have to go to like beauty school and sit, you know what I mean, off to the side while moms was like studying, uh, learning to do hair uh, to get her license, her cosmetology license. And that was in Oakland. And she did that, I guess, for however long that takes, like a year or so or a couple of years. She did that and then eventually owned her own uh, beauty salon right in smack dab in the middle of East Oakland. You know what I mean? Right Crazy. there in East Oakland, Seminary MacArthur. Anybody who's from the Bay knows that mm-hmm. area right there is uh you know, that was like the spot, man. So I, I kind of grew That's up in that. That's the soil, for real, man. That's the soil. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Man, I saw E-40 one time when he was talking something about, um, you know, his come up and his hustle. And he was like, man, we used to sell our tapes everywhere. Beauty saloons. I was yeah. like, what the hell? A beauty saloon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beauty like saloons. Yo, my mom's shop, just not to go off on a whole tangent, but ha- MC Hammer, too short. My mom used to do, uh, she used to do Tony, Tony, Tony hair before they were like Tony, 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 when they were just like coming up. Um, like that, cause that shop, you know, anybody who knows Seminary MacArthur, that's just like, that was like the corner, you know, um, right across from uh, Mills College. You know, the hoagie shop was right there, still there, I believe. Um, so that was just like, it was notorious for other things too, but that's where mom's mm-hmm. uh, shop was. But a lot of the rappers, um, you know, would come through there. You know, my sister would be like, oh, too short, dangerous dame. Um, you know, that they would be slinging their tapes. They would be out there hanging out, you know, the barbershops, all that stuff was over there. Crazy. So she did Tony, Tony, Tony. Who else hair did she do? Did she do TLC's hair? Did I hear you say that she did TLC? MC Hammer. No, she didn't. That's TLC, MC Hammer. I think she did Hammer's hair a couple times. Because, you mm. know, back then, everybody mm. used to get like the, the Jerry curls. You know, in the 80s, it was Jerry curls, S curls. 
texturizer. So she was definitely, uh, she did Duke. all that stuff. Yep, Duke, <laughs> Nexus, uh, <laughs> all that. Yep. She had, she had mean, a beauty salon. Mm. She had a beauty salon and a beauty supply too. So she was doing it. And then your dad is from Iran. Mm-hmm. How how common is that, or was that at that time in the Bay, to have a a couple that's black and Iranian? Very uncommon. <laughs> um, very uncommon. People, I mean, I can hear, I remember a little bit of it like coming up when I was like, you know, maybe five, six, but definitely my mom, my dad said that it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of tension around that time, you know, because um, I want to say it had to be when they met, I want to say it had to be like the late 60s, you know what I'm saying? Early 70s. Um, and, you know, it was racial tension, you know, not only from the white side, from the black side, from, it was just like, you know, some people, um, even though my father would never consider himself white, but some people, would, if you ain't black, you know, in the black community, sometimes we look like if you ain't white, you, if you ain't black, you white, you know what I mean? So here is this guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was said that, um, yeah, that it was just a lot of tension, you know, um, folks would be like, you know, from the white side and the black side. And it would be like, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely an obstacle they had to overturn. I can remember even my neighborhood, um, they used to catch hate, you know? Um, because people just didn't want to see an interracial couple. I guess if you consider that an interracial couple, yeah, they just, you know, people didn't know how to accept that. Um, for, but for the most part, people were over, um, welcoming open arms. Like our neighborhood, um, was very, was, it was, it was tight knit, you know, um, in Richmond. It was, uh, I guess people consider it like a housing project, um, because it was like low income housing, um, for people who are from the Bay Area, Crescent Park, uh, it's a low, it's, you know, at that, I don't know what it is now. I'm pretty sure it's still like that now. Kind of like Section 8 housing, low-income housing. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was born, they had moved there. Um, and it was uh, each crescent was like its own like little neighborhood. And it was it was like a it was like a village, man. You know, everybody kind of looked out for one another. Um those parents, next door neighbor, my mom's best friend, you know, we they would watch each other's kids, make sure everybody was okay. So it was all love in that sense, but it still was a lot of uh you know, stuff that happens in the inner city going on. You have uh, elder brothers and sisters from your mom's, from your mom's first marriage, right? Correct. Yeah. Four of them. What was the vibe like in the family? Like for, for, you know, for her family and even for your elder brothers and sisters to have this Iranian man, like now, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the man of the house, like, what was that like for them? You know what? My dad basically my oldest sister was a little older. I want to say she was probably just about to be a preteen um, when my dad came in the picture. But my father basically raised him, you know, so he raised him um, from the get go, you know. So they look at my dad as like as, you know, for the most part um, as like dad, you know. So there was for my I, I can remember stories that my sisters would tell me like at first it was kind of like, you know, who is this white man? You know what I mean? And my mom was like, he's not white. He's, you know, Iranian, you know? Um, but it was just like to them, like I said, it was just like, well, who is this new guy? Whatever, whatever. Um, but then after a while, they, he, he took care of him. He took him to school. He, you know, brought him to lunch, picked him up from school. He was very present in their life. And, and I didn't come till much later after, you know, I didn't come until, you know, seven, eight years after my mother and father had been married. You know, they had been married for like seven years, I want to say at least until until after I came. So my father was in the picture for maybe like 10, eight, nine, 10 years, maybe, you know. 
Crazy. I didn't realize that part. Yeah. 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 So um, my understanding is that your father's family wasn't in the picture, like wasn't in the house a lot, wasn't in your life a lot early on in life. And so your early years were really spent with your Black family, and it wasn't until later when your grandmother came that you started to really be introduced to the Persian side. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always... My father, we did have some relatives that like lived in Nevada, and then some would come. My dad had a um, his cousin who would come and visit. He was there. So, you know, but it was very much still a Black household. You know what I mean? Like, it was basically like mm-hmm. my father... And all black people, you know, my aunts lived with us. You know how it is, like, because, like I said, my mom was the first one to come from uh, Chicago or come from Michigan to the West Coast to California. So at that time, my grandmother, my aunts, my cousins, they all kind of started trickling in. So over the next, you know, throughout the eighties and the early part of the nineties, they all started migrating, making their way over, and they would all stay at our house for undetermined, you know, periods of time. So. The house was always packed. It was always an auntie, cousins living with us. And it was great. I mean, it probably, you know, when I think about it now that I'm a adult, I know that had to be kind of stressful on the family. You know, my mother and father wanted to have like alone time as a married, you know, as a, a husband and wife. But um, that's why it took seven years for you to show up. Yeah. There's too many people in the house. <laughs> they always, they always trickling in. And they were there. I mean, they were happy. They were coming while I was there because they were, I remember like cousins and, you know, when I was like three, four years old, some of my earliest memories are just like sharing the bed with cousins and all of us kind of being there and, you know, just all kind of like, you know, coming up together. So um, that's how it was for until I want to say until I got in college um, Well, right before college, I want to say because I, I was still living at home while I was in college and I, I had one uncle come first um, and he was like. He came and he was like a student, so he was living with us. And then I want to say like a year later, I want to say it was right before 9-11, my grandmother came, my grandmother and my other uncle. So now you have, and by that time, everybody else had moved out. It was just basically me, my mom, my dad, my dad's cousin, who's Iranian, obviously, my dad's two brothers and my grandma. So now it's like it's complete flip. You know what I mean? It's like it went from being this completely like black household to my father being like the only Iranian to now like it's all Farsi being spoken in the house. You know what I'm saying? It's like this Farsi is um, is Persian food every day, you know, Um, to where my mom is just trying to like kind of squeeze in the kitchen. So it was that was a whole dynamic, too. So things drastically changed. You know, it's so crazy. One of the things that people that I've heard so many people from, you know, multi, like, you know, the parents have come from different cultures mm-hmm. is like the smells in the house Changed. is such a major thing. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, if you're, if you grow up with, uh, you know, one black parent and then my man, Mally, who was on the tour with us recently, um, you know, for a while he had a, a African, West African stepfather. Mm-hmm. And so the house just smelled like fish all the time. Because <laughs> West Africans is fish, 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 fish. fish, fish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he said, you know, like that, that smell of fish was like such a big connection between him and that stepfather. And then when he left, you know, he stopped smelling the fish again. So now like those smells always bring that up. Mm -hmm. I wonder, man, did you get a chance to talk to your dad, especially because, you know, your dad like comes to America, you know, from, from Iran, especially in that time. 
Yeah, and a lot uh, of you know people, in the late yeah, 70s. a lot of people because I know a lot of Iranians. They came. My dad came before the revolution. You know what I mean. So a lot of people, the concept uh-huh. is different. You know because mo- as you know, most people here they're coming like during or after the revolution. My pops came. You know, sixties. You know before. So it's it's a, it's a little bit different. Uh, how things played out is a little different. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, did he come for for school or like? What, yeah, what, what yeah, he just came it? for school. You know, came to study and you know experience new things. And you know, what I mean, he came out here and he was studying. Uh, I forget what he initially studied at first, but then he got into automotive mechanics. Automotive. He, I guess, he came out here for like engineering, but then he got into like automotive mechanics and he studied um, automobile mechanics. Even though he's not, uh, he doesn't do that, but he does do that. You know, like all throughout my life. Pops was, you know, fixing everybody's cars in the neighborhood. You know, that's what he did, even though that wasn't his profession, technically. It's, it just seems amazing to come from Iran because, like, uh, you know, I've been to Iran. I was there mm-hmm. now. I wasn't there in the 60s, obviously. But, like, mm-hmm. to come from Iran and to move straight in with a black woman and a bunch of black kids <laughs> and a bunch of black aunties and cousins and, like, yeah, yeah. man, he really did America for real. Yeah, like, yeah. What was real. the what was the impression <laughs> that he had, and like that your grandmother had, and like do do you do you have any sense of like what that was like for him and the family? Oh yeah. So so I, so as I got older, um, obviously my father, I can have adult conversations with him even as a teenager, um, mm-hmm. but even more so the last few years because my mom, you know, has passed away. Uh, God bless her. She. Um, but my father, he's just like shared so many stories with me now, or maybe I'm just like uh, understanding them in a different way. Because a lot of stuff I remember him talking about, and I remember living through it. But now that I'm older, I just have a different perception, a different understanding. But one of the things we talked about recently, he was just like, he was just talking about um, coming here and meeting my mom. He loved it, you know. He just loved the family. He loved. He was. He was talking about my brothers and sisters and how they were like still, you know, they were like three and four years old. He says, he says, I just love that. I love being around the kids. That's what he, he loved. He loved family. He loved a big family. And um, he, so he, to him, it was great, you know, and he just didn't, he just didn't look at his perception and understanding of race. He just didn't look at it. He thought it was, and he does, and he talks about, I'll give you one example. Um, there's a little city next to Berkeley called Albany. Uh, anybody who's from the Bay Area or familiar with the East Bay, they know the city. It's a really white kind of little city, um, you know, right next to Berkeley. And th- my mother and father, they were living in an apartment in Berkeley. And my father said that they were looking for a house to rent, you know. And by this time, you know, they're not making a lot of money, but they're making enough to where they both like are working as like servers. They met at a restaurant, by the way. So they're working as like servers or whatever. And pops was, moms was like, look, we want to move into a house. They found a house that they like in Albany. But my father said, and this is something he didn't realize. My mom told him, hey, when you go, I'm not going to go with you. Go by yourself. Don't take, you know what I mean? You go, tell them that you're going to bring your wife. Don't tell them that your wife is black. And he was just like, why? He's like, because it's, we're not going to get the, we're not going to, they're not going to rent to us. So my father goes there, talks about his family. They see him, blah, 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 blah. And they let him. And then when he gets there, he's moving all these black kids in. And, and the neighborhood's like, yo, what the... And he said there was some neighbors that were just like racist, you know, very much racist. They see all these like uh, black kids running around and they had a problem with it. Um, but then there was one neighbor um, 
that was next door that were really got really close with my mother and father. They loved my my brothers and sisters, and they kind of like told them, you know, kind of like took them in and you know became good friends and tell them how to operate. Say, look, don't worry about these people. They're just you know, back backwards thinking. And, um, but that was one of the instances that he told me like, yeah, it definitely was like some resistance from the neighborhood at that time. Did you have any connection or like grow up with any knowledge of like the, the amazing poetry tradition in Iran, like Hafiz and. No, I'm not trying to jump ahead or anything. I know we'll probably get to that, but it wasn't, I didn't really. No, take your time. Yeah. I didn't really, um, I always knew I was Iranian Persian, but that whole side didn't really open up to me until I started practicing Islam, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So the cultural, yeah. like it was Islam first and then the cultural stuff um, kind of like came in and I started understanding it more um, from that perspective. And I mean, I'm always cool jumping there and <laughs> we just yeah, did a yeah, whole nah, two man. hours about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that was, and it's not to say that my father didn't teach me about Iran because it was very much present, this type of stuff. But you got to understand, I was just a, I looked at myself, even though I knew my father's Persian, I knew I culturally, I just looked at myself as black. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I was. That's my brothers and sisters, all my friends growing up. Uh, I knew my father was Iranian, but my mom was black, you know? So I just looked at myself as black culturally um, until my mind just start broadening and I start seeing other things and learning about other cultures and learning about my culture. And then that's when um, it started to like kind of sink in. Uh, and then especially when my grandmother moved, moved, mm. you know, moved to the States. What was your first kind of introduction to Islam, like not through your dad's family? Like what was the, what was the, the introduction that you had? Hip hop music, mm -hmm. hip hop music. Um, Poor Righteous Teachers, you know what I'm saying? Brand Nubian. Um, I can distinctly remember, I want to say it had to be, I had to be watching Rap City or something like that, or or Yo MTV, it probably was Yo MTV Raps. I don't think Rap City was there yet. But I'm watching Yo MTV Raps and Poor Righteous Teachers and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just saying, you know, Asalaamu Alaikum, Asalaamu Alaikum, Asalaamu You know what I mean? I'm hearing all this kind of stuff and I'm like, even uh, in the Bay Area, those who know Ascari X, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm listening to Ascari X, and uh, and I'm so I would say I started. I was kind of um, it was the Nation of Islam or you know the Five Percent Movement. I was just like I was just like I saw a couple of music videos. You know, I obviously being a young kid, being into hip hop, I started. I was just like, you know, I was like, what's this? So I was like, Dad, are we Islamic? And he was just like, Yes, of course. What do you think? Like, what about? I was like, really? So then that, and, and right then I didn't start, but that's when I was just like, okay, that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? I started getting the African beads and you know what I mean? You know, that was the thing and the black medallions. So I was into that. And then in high school, or I should say, yeah, right before high school, um, I was playing basketball, heavily into basketball. And then just so happened, all the coaches were Muslims. You know what I'm saying? We're African-American Muslims were pretty much, you know, the main coaches, the main guys a brother by the name of Hashem, who's still like an alum, like a teacher to me and a mentor, and another brother named Sharif, you know, we just playing. So we're just 13-year-old, 14-year-old kids playing basketball. But then as time goes on, we're always playing in this league just from a strictly basketball point of view. Um, and then I remember the brother Hashem was like, yo, your name is Davu. You're Iranian. Your father's Iranian. He was like, yeah. So then he started talking about father 
And he rather, little did I know that Hashem is studying Islam and he's about to go to Qum to study theology and Islamic, you know, law and all this kind of stuff. But I have no idea about none of this. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know, just introduced. I'm just playing basketball. And then I want to say it wasn't until a little bit later in high school, I get introduced to autobiography of Malcolm X, you know, and in the X movie by Spike Lee, you know what I mean? So those, that kind of just rocked my world. You know what I mean? I was just like, yo, what is this? So then, but you know, as a kid, I didn't know how to process it. I just initially went straight to the nation of Islam. You know what I mean? So I was just like, nation of Islam. I, I start reading the message to the black man. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like my introduction to Islam. But then, you know, as, as we know, you know, shout out to all the brothers and sisters in the nation, but there are some, <laughs> some differences, you know, between that and our Islam. And then that's when I started really kind of like studying, actually studying like kind of all religions, you know, Islam, Christianity, um, Buddhism, Hindu, you know, uh, all that kind of just like kind of getting into it and just trying to understand it. And then eventually led me to uh, Islam. Amazing. And were, were you involved with the community of Imam Wahidin Muhammad? So, no. I mean, I knew some folks and I did um, kind of... A little bit participated. Like I remember going to Eid with the war, of, uh, with the war of Dean Muhammad. Um, you know they had the Clara Muhammad schools. I don't, I don't think it's there anymore in Oakland. But um, I remember I used actually one of my jobs that I was working when I had just graduated from high school. I was working at a hotel as a banquet server, and I remember um, the war of Dean Muhammad community had their fundraisers. I, I actually got to meet um, Imam War of Dean Muhammad and. Uh, I kind of came up through Masjid Al-Islam, mm -hmm. uh, which is now, I believe, it's the Lighthouse Mosque. A lot of those people kind of went over there. But Imam Musa um, uh, up in, uh, I think he's in Seattle, but he had, you know, he had the mosque. In, and so I was going to there like all the time. Like that's where we would go for Juma. Um, but to even back it up, I want to say the first time I went to Juma or who I, where I went to Juma the most was probably on UC Berkeley's campus. Mm. Um, cause after high school, oh, even during high school, 11th, 12th grade, I would catch the BART. I would get out of class and I would take, uh, the train, um, and go to UC Berkeley and go to the Juma on the campus. Mm. Um, and, uh, and they would have different, you know, different, um, people giving kutbah, but a lot of the times it was, um, uh, Dr. Hamid Algar, who's also a professor, uh, at UC Berkeley. And he, um, I took a, you know, I took a bunch of classes with him when I was there too, Near Eastern Studies classes. But I would say it was split between UC Berkeley campus and Masjid Al Islam. It's so amazing, man! Like how how much how much our like circles intersect with each other. Because when mm -hmm. I was in the Bay, you know what I mean, um, Masjid Warathin and the Lighthouse were the two places that I that I went. And when mm -hmm. I was going to the Lighthouse a lot, Imam Zaid Shakir was the Imam there. Um, so this was like, you know, 2012, 13, 14, 15 in those mm. years. It's, it's a huge surprise that I never crossed paths, uh, crossed paths with you. So it's a trip. Yeah, man. And I know that, um, that basketball plays like such a huge role, especially in your early years. Mm -hmm. So what was the, like, what was the role that that played? And I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, cause, cause you eventually went on to, to college but you didn't necessarily mm -hmm. play ball in college, did you? No, nah, no. Nah. So I played, um, I played one. So I went to community college for a couple of years before I transferred to UC Berkeley. Um, 
when I was in high school, obviously, uh, I played in all the AAU stuff. You know, I traveled, played against some of the, you know, the guys that are in the NBA and did incredible things. But, um, you know, I wanted to further my education. I wanted to play basketball. So I chose to go to a community college so I could kind of keep that dream alive. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, you know, if I ball two years in community college, then maybe I can get a scholarship to, you know, some kind of university. My, my goal was I always wanted to go to Cal Berkeley because that was like, I basically grew up on that campus, you know, like I said, going to Juma there and they had a great basketball team, you know, Jason Kidd, all these guys, you know, had, you know, the team was just, was flourishing at that time. So I was like, man, that's what I want to do. So I went to community college, played one year at community college, did well too, but that's around the time I kind of got into music. So I started getting into hip hop around that time. So basketball stopped, stopped being that important. And then I started, I found this new passion that I was into. I wasn't like fully like on it like that, but I was like, yo, this is something I wanted. So it was just like, all right, you know what? Basketball kind of just fell to the wayside. I was like, I want to, I want to graduate. I want to finish college, but I think hip hop is going to be the new thing that I want to really want to get into. So I really got into writing and and learning how to write and record and do all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's where that, but basketball was very much important because that's what kind of, I mean, in a weird way, it's what kind of led me back to Islam. It's what kind of like motivated me to stay and go into college and take my education serious. It kind of opened me up to mentors and people that I would meet, um, you know, and that would play a big part later on in my life. So it was definitely a, a significant, significant part of my life. It's amazing that you had, that you're just so, I don't know how naturally gifted you are, but you're, you know, you're definitely one of the most incredible MCs um, in any, in any time period. Um, Thank you. And we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit more, you know, but just one of the greatest MCs that's ever done it. And I'm not exaggerating. Thank you, brother. Um, wow. Thank you, man. But it's so crazy that you have like proximity, like very real proximity to like the two biggest dreams for kids in the hood in the 90s. So like you got that's basketball as a real possibility. And then, but then yeah. also rhyming, you know, yeah. um, and the fact that you focused on education you know, yeah. that that was such an important thing for you. But I also heard you say as, at some point that even in terms of writing, that you didn't like your penmanship, you didn't feel like a strong writer. So I wonder like, yeah. when does, when does like writing come in? And did you, did you, did you ever write stories and play and in theater and things like that? Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, I guess so. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I express myself artistically throughout like school, you know, junior high, high school. Like I, I took art classes. I was, you know, pretty good. I was, I was pretty good in art. You know, um, I'm, I, I, I'm one of those people, like if I'm doing it every day and I'm staying on top of it, I do pretty well, you know, I can excel at it. Um, but if I, if I step away, then it's like my skills, it takes me a while. Like those skills are going to significantly, you know, like, like even with ball, like if I go out on the court, if I'm not playing every day, then it's going to be like, what? But if I like routinely like get back in the rhythm, then it's like, oh, you know, it's like, so um, that's how it definitely is with art and drawing. But writing, um, I did do, I took some theater class and some like language arts classes when I was in high school, but I wasn't really like super, super drawn to it. I enjoyed it. But um, when I started getting into music, like I said, my best friend, my best friends, they were doing it. And I was I was falling in love with hip hop at that time, you know, you know Nas, Illmatic, uh, Wu Tang Clan. Like I was mostly like coming up as a kid. I mostly listened to like West Coast stuff, you know, like Too Short, Easy E, N.W.A. 
Ice Cube. Like that's kind of what my brother, my sisters were listening to. You know what I mean? Like real, just like West Coast type stuff. Mm. And your sister was nice, right? Like your sister is MC Spice. My sister was an MC, you know. Um, so I was, I was seeing her. You know, she was like a, she was a. My sister was everything. She was a dancer, a singer, and a rapper. I seen her like open up, um, dancing for stuff for Digital Underground, um, uh, Black Alicious. I remember when when she started rapping, she was doing showcases. Uh, I think she even did like a overseas tour with Black Alicious. You know, um, very strong. And her, and even her rapping was very much on lyrics like yo i got a message like she wasn't just like you know like some kind of like commercial type of didn't easy e try to sign her to like a girl version of nwa and she turned him down yeah yeah so she actually got offered um she got offered somehow somebody got in contact with her because my other sister was managing her so somebody reached out was like yo easy e they want you to come and meet they want you to do like a uh, I think it was Holes with Attitudes. You know what I mean? If that's remember that group that came out, I think it was like H. <laughs> there was one called BWP. That was like B words with problems. There was I think it was yeah. HWA. I think I think HWA okay. was the other one. Yeah, um, and they were just like so. My sister was like, Nah, I'm not with that. Um, so she just kind of really did her. She was kind of on her own path, you know? and I learned a lot from her. Yeah, man. You know, so that's what I'm saying, like the proximity to these things, like there's, there's got to be somebody that comes along for most of us when we have a dream like playing ball or, or like, you know, making music, like from the majority of us, somebody has to show us that it's real because we mm-hmm. might feel like, yeah, that's a dream, but I can't do it. And then you see mm-hmm. somebody in your life do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It makes it real for you. And it's so amazing to me that being on the West Coast that, you know, for easy to offer her something and just for her to just be like, no, nah, that's not how I'm going to represent myself as a woman. I remember her being kind of conflicted about it. You know what I'm saying? I remember mm. her being like, but she believed like, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. And she was, you know, she was gaining some traction. Like I said, she, she had toured Europe, you know, she was doing shows, um, and, you know, and at that time, you know, hip hop was still, you know, we talking about early nineties, late eighties. So hip hop was still fairly new, you know? There was only certain avenues like you had to, I remember you had to record on like reel to reel, you know what I mean? Like two inch reel or whatever. So it was still very much because I remember seeing that in the studio, but she was just, you know, she was just kind of like, nah, I got to do it my way. And then, you know, eventually she kind of chose a family. She ended up having a family and that kind of slowed things down. And then eventually she kind of helped me when she started, I started rhyming. She was kind of like, oh, I want to help you, you know? That gave me a, it really feels almost like a foreshadowing on one of your joints on the Ali album, the like written in the stars joint. You start out by saying, recalling like I'm in the studio with Dr. Dre and I'm spitting Mm -hmm. and I'm like on the balcony spitting for exhibit and everybody's feeling you. And this is, I mean, you know, we've seen this happen on, on, it's like recorded. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. Fat Joe in the in the room hearing you spit for the first time because K Slay is like, yo, you gotta hear this guy. And so Fat mm-hmm. Joe was like, No, I seen him on the computer. He looks like the Taliban. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, but you talking about like being in the room with Dre and with uh with Exhibit and yeah. thinking to yourself in that moment and then having the wherewithal to share it on a record. I hope Dre doesn't offer me a deal because I can't say no to Dre, but I also want to do this my own way. And mm-hmm. I just think back to your, to Easy trying to sign your sister, man. Yeah. Uh, 
and and her just saying so what was her role and you know and and what does it remain like what was her role really in you know seeing you come into music and you know artistically and career wise and and the whole journey of it oh my sister was my sister was the first person i want to say that i let hear my songs you know what i mean our our songs at the time because it was three of us in a group and um that was she was the first person i was like her name is Renee. I was like, yo, Nay, what do you think it is? And she was like, what? Like, she didn't even know I was like rapping. She was like, she was supportive instantly from the get go. She was just like, what are you doing with this? This is really good. We got to do this. Da, 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 da. I should manage you. You know, so she was like, she was actually our manager. You know, I brought her to my friends. I was like, yo, my sister, she does this. She still knows some people because my sister had been through the industry a little bit. You know, she had performed at showcases. She performed at the Gavin um, these different, you know, um, college music festival and all these kind of things. So that was the that was the only person we know that we knew that um, that had like kind of you know that was that in that close proximity that had like been in the business. So she was just like, look, I can help you with this guys, and I can help you put a demo together. So she was, I want to say, she was like our manager for like two years when we first started. You know, she was trying to, and you've, she was you've always out. really centered and supported women like throughout your whole career through your whole path. Like I think about on the new album, the joint you did with our sister Neelam, speaking of the Nation of Islam, shout out to the mm-hmm. great Neelam, you know what I'm saying? Super dope. Yeah. Oh, she's ill, man. She's ill. It's funny, I met her and I need to reach out to her again, but I met her once we were performing at the same thing. And I hope she didn't feel like I was standoffish because just out of like reverence and respect for her, I was just like, Salam alaikum, good to meet you. Like I was, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you I wouldn't trying, even, you I, know, no, go ahead. I mean, just because I didn't want to, you know what I mean? Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to gush. It just felt like it would be disrespectful to gush. And I'm sure she's used to getting hollered at, and that wasn't the energy at all. You know what I mean? So I think I might have overshot a little bit in terms of the respectful piece and mm. maybe just not even expressed to her what I what I normally would. Yeah. No, she, I met her and her husband. They are... I mean, I just can't speak highly enough about them. Like, they are just some of the best folks. Like, being with them, I felt like I was with my cousins, with my brothers and sisters. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they were just some of the most honest, kind, welcoming people. Like, it was just a great time. Like, and, um, you know, I had reached out to her. I think we just kind of communicated, like, via uh, Instagram. And then I had a record. I was like, yo, I really would like to put you on this. She was like, let's do it, Lock. And, you know, and then we went out to LA and did like a video. I got to meet her, uh, her husband, and um, they just super good people, man. Like she and she's that, and even I was like that. I was like, I don't know how to be. And she was just like, Yo, what's up? You know. So I was just like, Okay, they they cool. They real down to earth. And she was just like, and she was just like, Yo, I'm thank you for being so down to earth because you know a lot of people. I'm like, Really? I was like, That's kind of how I thought you were. She's like, Nah, it's all good. So it was kind of like the same thing. So we, I, I think we both made each other. Uh, all of us made each other feel comfortable. I mean, I've seen you in those rooms with with uh, MCs, and and um, you know, the first time I talked to Toby and Wigwe, um, you know, he Dope. was like, "Man, he was like, yo, you and Locksmith are the guys that I look up to." You know what I mean? And he was like, the, wow. "The holy, the holy ones." You know what I'm saying? Wow. And it, and it's strange, like, because I've seen you in situations that remind me of situations I'm in, and it's interesting that mm. that I was in a way doing that to her. Where mm-hmm. because we have this certain perception and like image of being these like lyrical, conscious, positive, practicing Muslims, that people are almost like don't know how to 
talk to us or don't feel like they can mm. be themselves or aren't even aware that like, yo, I love you. I love your music. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, like I, mm-hmm. I, I heard you say that the, uh, that, that NWA record is, is your, one of your favorite albums of all time. Mm-hmm. The third, yep. the, the third one, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, man. It, it's a trip, but yeah. So, so the way that you, um, you know, that you've always had women involved in all of your projects, whether it's, you know, MCs featuring on the joints or, you know, people contributing to the hooks and things like that, I think is a really important Thank part you. of the thing. And just seeing that, knowing that connection with your sister and of course your mother and all these grandmother and all these amazing women is a really Very much thing part of my that. life. Yeah. I mean, just on a side note too, I just finished doing something with uh, Sa uh, Rock. So, so she just, uh, we got a song that we just did too. So I know that's your, you know, that's your people's too. So I'm excited oh, yeah. about that. So I was with Sal Rock and Soul Messiah the day after we were together. Like we went to, uh, and and it's interesting. Oh yeah, Cali Roots. Yeah, I think a lot of people are intimidated by Sal Rock, and I was very quiet around her in the beginning. And then once we went on Mm -hmm. tour together, I realized, like, man, she's the biggest, just like nerd. Like she's the biggest dork. You know, good people. Good people. Matter of fact, so now we always usually bust each other's chops about whatever we're wearing on stage. So the other day, That's man, dope. she had this like suit on and and uh yeah, it was dope. That's what she up. gets busy too, man. She's ill. She's incredible, man. I yeah. mean, like there there are certain levels of MC in this layer, like, man, how does this even exist? It's been a tremendous blessing as we've stepped into this space. This is still really new for me and my and the producer Brendan Kelly BK1, who is my longtime DJ and partner. And you know, he's been he. What people talk about day ones, like this guy BK Brendan has really been with me since I just was kind of like trying to figure out what's going on in the Twin Cities hip hop scene and can I be a part of it and all that stuff. And um, actually, I'm hoping that Brendan will come on the show as a guest because he has so much to share. Uh, but, you know, he and I did a tour together, our first tour ever with Atmosphere in 2002. We did something like 55 or 60 shows. We did a lot of shows. And we rolled out on that tour knowing that we could be amazing at what we do, but also knowing that we weren't quite there yet. And so doing it over and over and over again, night after night, gives you a type of just confidence because of your familiarity. You get really comfortable on stage, so you get confident on stage. That confidence and that comfort that only comes from doing it is when you start to actually figure out who you are, you start to find your voice. So it's like, okay, I learned the basics, I'm comfortable, I've got you know time in on this thing, I'm getting my reps in, but, and now we start to figure out, now we start to play. You know, and we're both really hoping that that is the case with, and we believe in that with this podcast space, but this is really new. You know what I mean? And so I'm learning as I go. And I say all that to say, I'm really grateful. And we're really grateful to have Zakat Foundation as partners on this podcast because I really admire their work. Zakat is the pillar of Islam that deals with charitable giving. And Zakat Foundation, Z A K A T Foundation, is a global humanitarian. Um, project that 
supports human beings wherever they live. Uh, it's a Muslim-led organization, but they don't proselytize. They don't only help Muslims. Um, you know, they they got even some kind of understandable backlash when they really stepped up and started helping people in the Ukraine. You know, because there's a difficult history in the Ukraine with Muslims. The Ukrainians haven't always been good to Muslims, and you know, there's such a disparity in in the broader public between a response to like what happens in Palestine or what happens in, you know, these like non-European, non-white countries and what happens in the Ukraine. You know what I'm saying? It's like the, the gulf is enormous with the global response. But the Zakat Foundation is, is motivated by the spiritual reality that human beings are honored to show up and help when people are in need. And so they showed up and helped. And there were people that you know, that support them that were like, yo, why are you doing this? How come we're not helping in Somalia more? How come we're not helping in, you know, uh, Chechnya more? How come we're not helping in, you know, Palestine more? And Zakat Foundation's response is, we are helping in all of those places. And the fact that the, the majority of Ukrainians are not Muslim means nothing to us. These are human beings that are in need. They're being persecuted. And so they're there. Zakat Foundation is there. I mess with that. I rock with that. And I've just seen over and over and over again that they've been willing to take stances that aren't popular, that aren't even, it, it's it's almost like when I say things on the mic that I know my fan base might not like, but it's true to me, so I have to say it. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's what I see in Zakat Foundation. And so I'm really grateful to be partnering with them. If you go on on, on uh, social media, you can follow all the stuff they do, Zakat US. Uh, you can also go to Zakat Foundation. Um, to their website and check out the things they do. But for example, when you sponsor an orphan through their orphan program, you give $50 a month that takes care of all their basic needs, plus schooling, plus um, mental health and wellness and you know healthy food and all this stuff. Plus they have people on the ground from the communities that are overseeing that work and make sure, making sure it's being done in a dignified way. But for example, their orphan program, 100% of the proceeds go right to the, to, to the children and families that need it. Like none of it is going to overhead or, or salaries or marketing or any of that. So the Zakat Foundation is super dope and it's really visionary of, it's, 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 it really displays their vision that they understand that art and culture and these conversations are part of their work. And so we're very grateful to them for supporting uh, this program and these conversations and uh, really invite you and just happy to share the good news about a dope organization like the Zakat Foundation. A few weeks ago, we had the real distinct honor and pleasure of having Rezma Minikim on the show. Uh, Rezma is a therapist, a trauma expert, a racialized trauma expert, a best-selling author. He's been on Dr. Phil and Oprah and The Breakfast Club and all the other big platforms. And he's my therapist. He's one of my therapists and my family's therapist. He's also a teacher, a lecturer, educator, an intellectual, public intellectual. He's a person who adds something to the conversation and a perspective that I that nobody else is offering the way that he is. Uh, Resma, if you go to Resma, R-E-S-M-A-A.com, you can check out his lectures, his workshops, his schedule, but also his books. His last book was called My Grandmother's Hands. It was a New York Times bestseller. The Quaking of America is his new book. I couldn't recommend these books high, high, more highly. Um, and in full disclosure, I'm partially blind. I can't sit down and read a, a, a normal textbook. 
And so The Quaking of America, as far as I know, as far as this recording, is not on audiobook yet. So I haven't gone through the whole thing. I'm familiar with the contents of that book based on knowing Resma and watching and listening to what he's talking about around the book. So in full disclosure, if you cop it and, and read it, you'll be reading it before I do. But the message of this work is incredible. The healing potential of this work is incredible. The intention of it, the effect of it, uh, I think it's essential reading. So please head to resume.com, check it out. And we're always grateful, honored, humbled to be in partnership with our brother, Resma Menica. You know, I was talking to Amir Suleiman, the great poet, but our, our mutual friend, the greatest living poet, like there's not anyone that does what he does. Mm. Um, and it's almost as if there's no longer an industry for what some of us do. Mm. You know what I mean? Like what would be the, like where's the place that you could place somebody, you know what I mean? That 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 does the types of things that we do. Whereas mm. or I think earlier in, um, just in the evolution of all of it, before the music industry took over, like mm -hmm. when it really was the community of people that create mm. and understand and produce this music, mm -hmm. just the the that communal cultural context. You just look at like what was going on in hip hop that like, even the biggest gangster rappers were Muslim or were conscious on some level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the seeing Kid and Play and Ice T and Public Enemy go on tour together, mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that. And it just really feels to me like once the music industry took over, they just really reshaped everything to mm -hmm. where there's one way to get money. Mm -hmm. And you yeah, know, yeah. And they'll only support certain types of black. So a woman has to be naked. There's no choice. Mm -hmm. And a man has to either be really scary or really oh, safe. Mm -hmm. like the, you're either 50 Cent or Will Smith. There's really not much, mm -hmm. you know, in between. And so f for the audience, you know, see, seeing uh, artists navigate, black, particularly black artists, navigate the audience, um, that struggle just seems really incredibly difficult because there are white people, obviously, that are 30 years late, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like discovering the culture and like, oh, this is amazing. There's all these great lyricists and what mm -hmm. have you, but they prefer to see white yes. people mm -hmm. make that kind of mm -hmm. music. So, I mean, what's what's your navigation been like with with the music that you make and the the fans, the audience? You know, it uh, it takes a little bit of understanding and patience. Um, it's not something cause I've been doing this, you know, I've been doing it for a while since the, I want to say the first time I probably wrote a rap was like the late nineties, you know, mm -hmm. and I probably started recording in, you know, the two thousands, but, and it, you know, I, I, I didn't even think about it at first because, but as time has gone on as hip hop, like you said, it's become more mainstream. It's become more, you know, it's everywhere. It's a part of it's, a, it's, it's American culture, you know? Um, in every shape, form, or facet. And then you start being like, okay, well, if you're not mainstream, then you're underground. And I think it was actually another one of our mutual friends, R.A. the Rugged Man. You know, R.A., you know, I've toured with R.A. He's, he's been gracious enough. He's one of the people that reached out to me, um, showed so much love. I, and I got to tour it, and we had these great conversations. And he says, you know, Locke, he said, it's weird now. He says, like, doing the kind of music I did, as a white MC, it wasn't acceptable at some point. He's like, but now it's a benefit. And he said this back in like 20, 
2013 or 2014, he said this to me. He's like, it's crazy now. It's like now the ties are turned. He's like, and it's not fair. You know, and that's what I that's why I love RA because you know, he, you know, he's a white artist, he's incredible at what he does, but he speaks real. He's like, yo, bro, he's like, and he shows he shows me so much love and and I just appreciate it so much. And he's like, yo, bro, it's like it's it's not fair, you know. But I just take those, I take that information that I get from people like him, people like yourself, um, uh, who I have a tremendous amount of respect from, people like Exhibit, Fat Joe. And I say, look, you know what? I'm blessed. Um God has given me this ability. I'm able to do what I do. And I know that there's politics and this stuff evolving. You know, like, look, white people, they want to see white people. That's what they like. You know what I mean? It's familiar with them. They want to see people who are like them, who can do what they do. So that obviously they gravitate towards it. It wasn't like that at one point in time, but now it's been accepted. It's so global. It's so big that that's what they identify with. But I just, I just kind of stay focused on my path and be like, you know what? If it's dope and it's real, it may take time, but eventually it will penetrate and people will uh, appreciate it. And that's, you know, and I, I try to focus on, I fo- try to focus on um, having purpose. You know, I try to focus on the purpose as, a, as opposed to uh, what I can get, you know, what I can get from it. What's the connection with Merce been like on that subject in particular? On, on the subject of what? Uh, of of the underground, you know, dealing with the underground and dealing with, you know, making conscious lyrical music and the racial mm. dynamics. Like that's something that Merce has been navigating for a, a really long time. I'm glad you brought that up because I would feel bad if I didn't mention Merce because Merce is another person who has showed me just like unconditional love. Um, somebody that I met, ironically, through Ski Beats um, out there in New York. And um, Mers, I've got a chance to, you know, tour with him. And as a black, I mean, he's kind of, I mean, look, I've toured with a lot of people. You know what I mean? I mean, I've toured with a nice amount of people, white and black. And for him to do the kind of music that he's, I mean, Mers has steadfast in the type of music that he's done. And he's very dope at it. And for him to kill it like he kills it and to still go out and see him sell out arenas and for him, me to perform with him, I've learned so much. Not only from, I tell people this all the time. I learned how to perform by watching Murs and Ari the Rugged Man. From going on tour, like first seeing Murs, watching him perform. Like I told him straight up, like, yo, I'm st- I'm st- I steal stuff from you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, how to have stage presence and how to incorporate stuff. I learned it from Murs. Same thing with R.A. years later. I just learned it from R.A. Like I, some of the things, I, I mean, I'm doing it in my own way, but I studied, I learned from those guys. They took me under and said, look, come come open up for, for me. But not only that, just the navigation, like you said, like I see Murs, like, yo, as an African-American, as a black artist to go out and sell out these crowds. And then a lot of times the crowd, majority of times, the crowd is majority not black. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's some places where we get a night and we're like, yo, it's black folks. This is beautiful. But a lot of times- The, the opener you know, will majority. come backstage and be like, there's six black people on the on the right. They're, they're right yeah. to the right. It <laughs> yeah. seems like so-and-so, so-and-so. The, the, the girl is with her dude, so don't holler at her. But there's a, <laughs> yeah, it's like a, there's like meetings that happen. Uh, yeah, it's like, yo. It's like, so we be like, yo. Um, but then, but but not to say that there, there are worse some crowds, you know, I can remember spe- specifically where there was a majority or at least a large population of black folks in the crowd. But for the most part, you know, it's a lot of white folks uh, with MERS. It's a lot of uh, um, Mexican-American or, you know, Latin uh, or Spanish speaking crowd. So which is super dope. Um, But I learned a lot from that. I learned how he navigates it. And and I just learned from his consistency, like, yo, MERS works hard. 
and he's killing it. And he's just like, and we've had these really dope conversations. And I'd be like, you know, because sometimes as an artist, we can't see it. We only see it from our point of view because we're in it. But then they have get somebody else's perspective. I'm like, yo, Merv, bro, like you're growing, like do it, bro. Like sky's the limit for you. Like keep on doing what you're doing because it's working, you know? Um, not that he needs to hear it from me, but I'm just, you know, we share my, my observation with him. But I've learned a lot, you know, how to just stay consistent and persevere. Same with RA, stay consistent, persevere. You know, my version of that was the first time I went on tour was with Atmosphere, but Merce was mm. was on that tour as well and was like on this stage with Slug. So it was like Slug and Merce were the guys that I came up learning from. Yeah, Merce is one of those people that I think is underrated, not only as an artist, but just as a cultural figure. Like, mm. I, I feel like in a lot of ways on the West Coast, he's the he's one of those like connectors that has been you know, so instrumental in, in bringing people together. Pay um, dues, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the first time Kendrick got on at a festival is because of Merce, the Nipsey Hustle, like all of these people that we could, could mention. Macklemore, like, you know, really, I, I don't know if somebody, somebody else has that breadth of, you know, just connection and understanding and... Kind of connecting... That gangster with the underground, and you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and I, but and it's a trip because I, I'm sure that he's doing the best rhyming of his career now. Like Absolutely. The, the joints that he's putting out now, like of all of us that have been doing this for all these years, like I think a lot. Some people have held on. Some people have explored other things, mm -hmm. but in terms of of just really, you know, objectively, undeniably mastering the craft over the years, like man, mm -hmm. yeah, mercy. Merce is one of those people that, you know, may Allah give him a long life, but if he were mm. to pass early, he, the outpouring of love and admiration for Merce would be... Give him his flowers would, now. I think would yeah. Yeah, man. Give yeah. him his flowers. I mean, I just, just went just, to his show um, in LA because I was out there shooting a video or something. This was like a few months ago or end of 2021. And I was like, I'm coming to see his show. It was like right when stuff was kind of opening up again, you know, for the whole pandemic. And, you know, he was just killing it, just rocking it. I think it was the first show of his tour. I had to come out and see it because I was there and just like performing the new songs and just killing it, man. Just doing it, just doing what MERS do. I mean, we know it, but if you haven't experienced it, you got to experience like MERS, his live performance, his live show, and the music is just getting better and better. Yeah. And he really loves you. Like when I reached out, when we, I, you and I were trying to make a tour work, and we we're going to make too. it happen, inshallah. But man, when inshallah. I asked him, he was like, yo, he was like, man, I love that dude. He's like, man, I roomed with him. He's like, I don't room with people. Merce and I have roomed together. He's like, man, I don't room with people. I want to be alone. I want to be in my own world. He's like, man, the only problem with touring with Locke is I just talk. I stay up and talk all night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. how it was, Beautiful bro. It was, I want to say that... That was probably the best tour, just as far as like, I don't want to put nobody else because I toured with some great people, but it was just good, man. It was just like, you know, it was it was just super fun, man. We had some great conversations just about everything and we didn't agree on stuff, but it was just so good to just have dialogue and just, it was just a brotherhood and I uh, just have huge amount of respect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I love that guy. Yeah, man. So Ari and Merce, I'm wondering like, who are some other... Are there other folks that that you look at as mentors, like specifically uh, as, as artists? As far as like in hip hop? Yeah. In the, in the business? 
Um, I mean, exhibit, you know, I got to show, I got to show love to exhibit. Um, you know, we haven't done, I, you know, I've never toured with him, but just the fact that, you know, somebody to him to have such a, you know, a, a large place in hip hop and for him to be like, yo, lock, let's do some records together. Yo, lock, let's do this. Let's do that. You know what I mean? For him to like bring me in and show me love like that. Like I've used his studio to shoot videos and do all that stuff. Like he's just so, so much love. And, and uh, I just really appreciate that. I learned a lot from him. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else. I mean, I, I just feel like I learn from everybody. Like if I'm going on tour, I'm rocking with you. I'm learning, you know, like I, I'm just, you know, and then you may not get as close to everybody, but I'm learning, I'm watching, you know, especially if I'm opening up for somebody like I'm, I'm, I'm not just there. Obviously I'm there to like make fans and make money and support, you know, my family and stuff like that. But I'm I'm there to learn and build, you know. So I, I feel like I just kind of learn from from everybody, from producers, from artists, touring. I just try to, you know, I was watching you the other night. I'm looking, I'm like, okay, <laughs> how does how does he interact? You know, how does he do it? I'm just that's the way I that's just the way I am, man. I'm like a sponge. You know, I what I what I said earlier and then I want to really circle back to is just just the the apex virtuoso level of MC that you are in terms of writing, in terms of your lyricism. And, you know, I think that you're such an incredible lyricist, though, that it it outshines. And especially, you know, when you're sitting on Sway or K-Slay or one of those situations, those are the things that people tend, or you freestyling in the car, like those are the things that go viral. Those are the things that people pass around. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very well known and understood that how strong your pen is but not only that um but your performance like your vocal performances your live performances your physicality is really incredible as well like you know top tier with that um you know and then also your ability to do topics and come at topics from different perspectives. I feel like that's one of the things that gets overlooked. There's a lot of things about you that I think are, are <laughs> overlooked. And I think that you're you're probably the most underrated. I would say that you and Sarak are some of the most underrated artists. Um, Thank you. But, you know, the, it, it, it's it's ridiculous. Like, the, you know, like, I, honestly, I was embarrassed to, to perform after, you know, to perform nah, after you, man. but, you know, the world is the world. I'm just like, um, nah, man. But the... Uh, I think the thing that, and I know this is not the case for your fans, mm-hmm. but the thing that I think that the that the the world of hip hop has yet to fully understand is just how vulnerable you are in these records, mm. man. Like your level of the generosity that you have in giving from your spirit um, as a as a man, as an artist, you know, for somebody who in one moment is larger than life, you know, to, to give as much as you do and to be as vulnerable and as human as you are in your, in your records. How did you develop that specific element? Mm. Because that's not a very common thing in music in general, but particularly in hip hop. And there's not a lot of like lyric, there's not a lot of people that can battle Mr. Fab and then also (laughs) pour their, their, like tell their secrets on a record, like how did you develop that particular? Oh uh, yeah, man. Um, yeah, shout out to Mr. Fad, that's my brother. Um, I think that I think that just comes with maturity, you know. Um, I I wasn't I wasn't necessarily like that, you know, when I first was starting off. But I think just 
you know, as you know, as you go, as you get older, as you mature, hopefully you gain some wisdom. Um, and it's like, I just, um, I just, I just always love records. Like I love, I love the rap stuff. I love being able to just dismantle and do things lyrically and play with words. Like I love that. But my favorite type of records or the records that mean the most to me are when there are records that you can just relate to on a personal level. You know, so that I, that I always like identify like, and if you could do it in a lyrical dope way too, you know? Um, so that was always like, mm-hmm. even when I got into rap and I fell in love with just the form of the art form of rap, but I always want to say like, yo, how did I, how can I learn how to get a message across? Like, that's something I always wanted to learn when I first started rapping. Like when I first started rapping, I just wanted to be dope, you know, like I'm this and I'm that and I did it, but I always thought it was the dopest when you could convey a message, but it took me a while to just, first of all, just skill wise from a technique point, just learn how to do that, you know? And then once I felt like I was comfortable with being able to rap about whatever I wanted to rap about, like just from a technical, then I had to be, have had to reach a level of maturity where I was able to actually have the confidence or the courage to do it. Um, and I can say this in retrospect, but I wasn't necessarily thinking that at the time, but, um, one particular one one song in particular that I performed the other night, you know, the hardest song ever. You know, I wrote that song. I came up with that song. Um, for those that don't know, like that's a song me talking about, like detail, you know, detailing or speaking upon my my personal experience with you know as a child dealing with, with sexual abuse, and it came out of a point because from a personal standpoint, I was just as a grown man, I was just having these severe asthma attacks. I mean, excuse me, anxiety, not asthma, a- uh, anxiety attacks. And anybody who's had anxiety and dealt with that, it's like, yo, this comes out of nowhere. And um, for my just spiritual upbringing, for my upbringing, my family, I, I was able to recognize it and be like, yo, you're having these anxiety attacks. What's going on? And then it just kind of, I don't know, I just had to do some self-reflecting. And then it just kind of made me go back deep into realizing um, traumas that I had from the past, you know, that I didn't really that I, that I had buried, that I basically forgot about, but I knew it was kind of there. And then it just, and I had, you know, I spoke with some people, I got some counseling. Um, and I looked at it from Islamic standpoint, you know, um, like learning about these, you know, about anxiety, uh, in general in in particular, and then how to deal with it. And then I, I I don't know, once I kind of like went through that, understand it it was just natural me well natural for me to i want to make a record about this you know i want to speak on this and um and so it just kind of came about that way and then i guess that was but even then i was kind of inching towards that making songs about relationships like i always want i didn't want to just be like every song like i'm the best rapper in the world you know what i mean like i want to have some songs where it's like i'm talking about where i grew up from. i'm mm-hmm. talking about my parents and my upbringing and what it's like dealing with that and then, well, if I'm going to talk about all this real stuff, I can't leave out one of the most, you know, uh, significant, you know, uh, you know, things that happened in my life. Like I'm going to, it's going to naturally come out. So it just kind of naturally came out with, with maturity, I believe. You know, it's just such a, such a, a generous uh, expression of love, you know, and of real faith, like the, the, you know, people talk about courage and it is courage, but it's a courage that's born out of, it's so obviously a desire to give, you know, to give from yourself and to, to, to make yourself be that 
uh, vulnerable um, and to reveal that much of yourself to a world that, like, you know, like this is on the Ali record, <laughs> which like, thank you for naming it after me. I appreciate that. Um, but the, like, but I mean, like, this is on a record where like, obviously you've been making this music, obviously the, you know, uh, outside of our mm -hmm. cohort of people that follow incredible lyricism, you know, the world is not giving you what you, you know, what you deserve. And you still dig deep in that way to give, like after and creating you. all of these incredible records, to give that to the people who hear it and maybe have these experiences that they haven't even allowed themselves. You talk in the record about like the fact mm -hmm. that like I forgot these things happened in my life. You know, that like you're walking around with these realities and you forget that they're even there. And they're they're like they 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 exist as these like sensations mm -hmm. somewhere deep in the in the memory. That when you start examining like where is this, you know, this this difficulty committing to women and like is there something with my sexuality? I mean, you are ripping your heart open and displaying it all. And it's not for it really is very, very obvious that you're giving this to people who haven't been who mm -hmm. aren't uh, at the place that you are with it yet, who haven't experienced that level of acceptance and healing. And, you know, I, I work with men mm -hmm. that have been through this and my wife is a therapist and, you know, what that does and all of the things that you describe, it's like, this is what men go through. This is what men experience on into life until the moment that they're able to uh, really ex sit with what is. You know what I mean? And for most people, like I said, you know, the, the reason, part of the reason why people need each other so much is like that ability to give each other permission to be like, yo, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this, these things happen and it's not a reflection on you. This is an experience that you had. And also to give that, that, uh, just to give that, that modeling, that healing is possible. Like not only is there nothing wrong with you that this happened to you, but like you can actually hear from another man mm -hmm. that we already, you're somebody we already look up to mm -hmm. that like it's possible to heal. And so just, man, you're, you're, the generosity of spirit and of heart and conviction for you to give that to the world. And I, I wasn't sure if, if you would perform it or not. I was kind of hoping that you would, but I also wouldn't fault you if you didn't. Um, but the other night, you know, I'm sitting there and and there's a door in between the, the venue and where I was. And I heard the music mm -hmm. start and I'm like, oh man, mm -hmm. this is about to be, this is about to be a moment. So even the fact that you perform it live, like, man, I just, I just have to say, man, I, I, that's something that I profoundly respect, you know, even beyond the lyricism you, and the story writing and, and all of that other stuff. Yeah. What's yeah, the no, what, thank are, you what, so are, much. what are the things that you've heard from from listeners about that song? Oh man, always people. I mean, I would say at least every show, somebody's coming up to me and they're just saying, "Man, thank you for that song." You know, um, that means a lot to me. Um, I was hoping, I was wondering if you were going to perform it. Some people they walk out halfway through. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, "Yo." I just couldn't, but just, just thank you so much for that. You know, um, every time, you know, somebody, and, and you know, what's funny, like a lot of times, I mean, usually some, the only time I won't do the song, I try to make it a point to do it every, every time I perform only time I won't do it. If it's like a really short set, 
you know, if it was just like one of those things where it's like, oh, you come in and you're doing like three or four songs and it's just like, okay, right. I don't have that much time. Kind of get in, get the crowd going and get out of here. But if, the, if I have like a, you know, 30 minute set or more, I'm going to perform that song because I feel like it's important. I feel like it's, it's, it's the song that I'm most proud of. You know, out of everything that I've done, I'm most proud of that to this point. So I just be, and sometimes I'd be like, is this the right crowd? I'm like looking and then I just be like, I'm going to do it. And then I'm happy I did it, you know, um, every time I do it. So yeah, it's, it's, I just, I do it every time, man. Cause I just think it's important. It's important for me, you know, and as, as well as other people. So, you know, and yeah. I think it's just so indicative of, um, you know, there's this conversation in the Islamic tradition that became really popular um, <laughs> about, you know, there are those in the, in the jurists that said that in many cases they believe that performing music is haram or forbidden in Islam. Mm-hmm. And those people mm-hmm. have never been, uh, you know, that's never been a consensus and they've never even necessarily been the majority opinion. But Imam mm-hmm. al-Ghazali, you know, they, they ask Imam al-Ghazali and he writes in, in the Alchemy of Happiness, which is in Persian, by the way. And so every, mm-hmm. most people know about Imam al-Ghazali for writing Ihya ulum al-Din, which is like the big, uh, the, the revival of the Islamic sciences that he wrote in Arabic. Mm-hmm. But he wrote another mm-hmm. version of it in Persian. And there are mm-hmm. differences in between that. the two. Yeah. So Alchemy of Happiness mm-hmm. is in Persian. It's not in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. some of his advice is different. And what mm. he says in Alchemy of Happiness is like, for people whose Islam, like their religion, is only external, meaning that they've rejected Sufism, they've rejected um, you know, the life of the heart as a genuine spiritual reality, that their mm. religion is external. Those people, music has to be haram for them because mm. music fans the flames of what you love. And if, if your love mm. isn't connected to the divine, isn't connected to the creator, then you know, you still have a heart. It's just that your heart loves false created things. But mm. for people who whose love is solely for the creator, those people need music as part of their spiritual practice. And mm. then there's this whole section where um, the the student comes to, so he gives all these advices about when is music good and when is when should we be careful about it and things like that. But then he gets to a place where the student comes to their spiritual master and say, I want to do music as a career. Uh-huh. And Imam Ghazali says, you have to be careful about that. So the teacher tells the student, fast three days and nights, don't even eat at nighttime. No food, no drink, three days and come back to me. So the student goes, doesn't eat a drink, comes back and says, all right, I've done it. Now what? So the teacher says, what in this moment do you desire to eat more than anything in the world? What's the meal that you most want? So the student tells him what it is and the teacher orders it to, to goes to the restaurant, orders that meal, puts it down in front of him and says, in this moment, if you would rather eat this food than do music, then you, you can do music, but not as a profession. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, if you would rather, uh, you know, create, if you would rather sing and play and perform, then then you then you have permission. Then eat this food after you've been starving for three days. And mm. the understanding they got from it is like, if a person is doing this because they want to be rich, because they want to be famous, because they mm-hmm. want to, they want access to women, because they want whatever, then it'll destroy them. Mm. You know, and, and they say, like, if you really want to destroy your enemy, ask Allah to make them famous. But for mm. the people who are doing this out of like real connection to the divine, those people have to do it. And a song, a song like that, it's like, man, there's, you know, I have some songs like that. It's mm. like, and your ego the whole time is like, what are you doing? 
thing. Facts, <laughs> like you're gonna yeah. mess it all up. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, don't do that. So the 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 but the spirit that's actually like, no, I I really believe that Allah put me here mm-hmm. to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But one of those things is write and deliver this song. Yes. So for like and 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 for sexual abuse in particular, you already know, forgive me for talking about things you know better than me. But like one of the major um things that makes it such a trauma that's so difficult to hear is that heal is that people don't believe it Mm. so like for the guy that's on stage that's been rocking it on stage and everybody is saying what he tells them to say this like tall handsome man that's that's rocking the mic everyone says what he says to say and then here comes this song it's like yo he believes me this whole audience believes me and it's possible to heal Mm. like man i you know Mm -hmm. It's impossible to overstate. Man. Yeah. Like that's 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 just really an amazing. If you support our work, you know that we're independent from day one in music. Um, you know, we've always been able to say what we believe we need to say. We've always been in a position to challenge not only the status quo, but to even challenge the people that support us and listen to us. You know, there are people that had pushback for the Resma Minikim episode. There were people that didn't like it when I had a conversation with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And I know it's like, are you are you listening to the conversation? You know what I mean? We're not talking to Ilhan Omar, uh, the Congresswoman, about her political platform as much as we're talking about her story and her life and the wisdom that she brings, the the perspective that she brings uh, to the conversation. So we need to be independent. And so the people that support us are, are who really makes that possible. It's a blessing that we haven't had to work with corporate sponsors. We've been able to work only with sponsors, the people that we know. And some of them are very supportive and others don't have as much of a budget to support and we work with them anyway. But part of what keeps us independent and a huge part of it is our being able to communicate directly with you. So it's great to follow us on social media. All of that is dope. If you subscribe here, that's dope. If you share it, all of that stuff, rate it, comment, all of that, super helpful. But what's most important to us is that we have our own method for connecting with the people that we share this thing with, which is you. If you go to brotherali.com, um, you know, there's no other way to communicate with us. Like brotherali.com is where you get the updates on the music that we're making. And we have a really cool announcement coming. You know, some of the music that we've been doing, we've been releasing it directly and doing these like vinyl only projects. We did the Brother Minister project that was vinyl only. We made 300 of them and they sold out within a really short, like immediately. And people were mad. Like, damn, I didn't even know about this. A lot of the shows on our tour sold out. Uh, a lot of the podcast stuff sold out. We've done learning series like Blood on Beats, you know, how to die writing a song, songwriting series, a month long series, direct interaction between me and a limited people, a group of people, because we wanted to make it intimate. I want to really talk to the people that we're writing songs with. So there we limited and they sold out and, you know, it is what it is. Um, the merch, the podcast stuff, all all the things that we offer. And to let you know, we do have a really cool announcement coming soon, something that will be limited, something that will probably sell out. So if you go to brotherali.com, sign the mailing list, 
we do not bombard you with stuff. We never sell your information. I write the emails myself and we only do them when we're announcing and launching a new thing so that the people that mess with us know about it. That's one thing on brotherali.com. The other is the caravan. So sign the mailing list. The other is the caravan. And the caravan are the people that really engage with and support our work. And so we open up ways for them to connect. You know, so, you know, there's a basic level that people do, which is amazing that they do it. Then we have an intermediate level uh, where, you know, you get digital gift box and we're actually about to release our next uh, digital gift box, which is a bunch of content from me, unreleased songs and all sorts of things that you get directly from me when you're part of that group. And then that third level um, is really a community building thing. We have a Slack channel that's private and people come in and talk and we have prompts to open up conversation. There are people in that third level, uh, I believe we call it the trailblazers that would not know each other otherwise. And the conversation and the support for each other, the bonds that are built between people who come from different walks of life, I'm honored to just be a part of that thing. And I'm just a part of it. You know what I mean? Like I come in there and check in, but I mean, there are people really dealing with the struggles of life and really sharing some some of their innermost human experiences with people that they would never know were it not for this beautiful thing that's bringing us all together. So head to brotherali.com, sign that mailing list, check out the caravan, and thank you so much for your support. One of the newer products that we've been working with is Udimentary. It's a, you know, a company, a service. Oud, Oud, O-U-D, is a scent that you have never smelled its likeness until you've experienced it. Like Oud is, you know, people are starting to learn more about the fact that um, you know, burning things like Palo Santo and sage can really reset the intention. It can reset the energy. It has these really beautiful somatic um, effects on our body and on our state, on our condition, on everything. That scent really matters and what we burn really matters. And the meaning of it, it carries tremendous meaning. So Oud is basically aloes wood trees that grow in Southeast Asia. They get infected with a fungus and they create a they produce a natural antibody to fight the fungus that then lives in the wood. When that wood is distilled into oil and you put it on your body, these healing properties also give a type of smell that like Tom Ford and all these like, you know, European companies started putting some oud in their products because they know the power of it. And that's fine, but Udimentary gives you raw, uncut, unstepped on, pure, raw diesel oud, if that's what you want to buy. It's not cheap, but I'm, when I say a dab will do you, like a dab on your wrist and you put it on yourself, you'll smell it, your clothes will smell like it. And then also if you take the wood and put it on a piece of coal and burn it, the scent that it, I mean, it gets in your clothes, it gets in your hair, it gets in your furniture and your drapes and in your space and in your room. And it lasts a long time and you get what you pay for. A lot of people know, a lot of Muslims are, are rocking these cheap oils and that's fine. I do that sometimes too. A lot of people are burning, you know, cheap incense and things like that. And I do some of that too. But when it's time to really take something, a, a space, an environment, our physical presentation from something mundane and regular to being something sacred, to really making, a, making it a ceremony, I'm telling you that the the role that Oud plays is phenomenal. So go to Oudimentary, O-U-D-I-M-E-N-T-A-R-Y, 
udimentary.com. And if you go to your checkout and you put in travelers, it'll give you a discount. You know, uh, Udimentary is run by a therapist who deals with trauma. And another one of the partners is, um, you know, African-American brother who was, you know, in football, professional football player, and then became a trainer and a, uh, a, a, a jujitsu champion, you know what I'm saying? And then an Afghan sister from the Bay who's been working on this stuff for a long time. Uh, they're sourcing this stuff ethically in connection and really in community, in, in, in a partnership with the communities that produce this wood, and then also doing it sustainably so that they're planting. And it's a beautiful thing. I can't recommend it highly enough. I actually went to them and was like, yo, can I please spread the word about your service and your product on our show? Because I love it that much. Check out udimentary.com. Remember that they got different levels. It's all dope, but you get what you pay for. I've had people start using Ood and then come back to me like, yo, how did I not know about this? And I'm just like, well, I'm trying to tell you. Udimentary.com. Check it out. You know, one of the things that that um, is so incredible is like your ability to address issues. And so on the on the the volume three record that just came out, you spoke about this months ago, and it's just been thrust into the the mm-hmm. forefront again. But you're joined about abortion, and and so you really take the two sides. It's like we have these polarizing issues in America, and you deliver a verse first as a pastor or as a father. Mm-hmm. As a father, yeah. So the father is talking to the daughter and saying, please don't do this. Please don't have an abortion and, you know, all of these things. And you really humanize him. Like he's mm-hmm. not just a he's not just a religious fanatic. Like this is a human being that is saying what he's saying out of love. It, and it's mm-hmm. and it's his perspective. And then you deliver another verse from her perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And you humanize her. And it's, you know... Um, you know, so so I wonder about you know when you're writing these particular songs. What is your, what's the motivation to deliver them? Because I think I know what it might be, but I'm curious mm. to hear a song like this. And you have many songs like this where you mm. rhyme from different people's perspectives, and mm-hmm. you really are empathizing with them and humanizing them. So what's your what's your intention when you create something like that? Yeah, no. Um, first of all, man. Once again, I gotta say thank you for all the the love you're showing. <laughs> but um, that particular song is called "Yeah Planned Parenthood." So yeah, so I wanted to make a song because I feel like you know in the last you know four, five, six years or so, America has just been so openly divided. You know, um, I guess you know you could say the far left or the far right or the far liberal, the far conservative. I just feel like we just everything has been just so like people like I've never seen people just express their political beliefs just so much where people are like, even within my own family, people like, you know, whether it's the, you know, uh, the stuff with the pandemic getting the, you know what I mean? The, the, whatever, you know, and like all this stuff, like everybody's just so divided, you know, everybody's so divided, abortion, gun control, just everything. Everybody's so divided. Um, and I just was just like, I was like, I guess when we were locked down, uh, no, this because actually I wrote it a little bit before we were locked down, right before. But I was just like, yo, this is getting crazy. I was like, I just want to write, I want to write a song about how divided we are without 
just saying without being so broad. And I was like, how can I make it like intimate and just about more specific about something? I was like, I think the topic of abortion is like a really good way to, I feel like that's something that people are, are really divided on. And how can, how I just wanted to do it in a creative way where I could like show, I guess, just that perspective of, you know, one side and the other side, but do it where it's just like makes it more human as opposed to like two people just like, you know, debating or, you know, talking about conservative values and liberal values or political values. I just wanted to do it and I just wanted to make it more human. So I just kind of, I did it in that way. Uh, How do you research something like that? Like, cause obviously neither one of those people are you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how do you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, is this just you putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and trying your best yeah. to figure out, or do you, like, I wouldn't put it past you to actually research these things and interview people. Yeah. I took it from, I took it from those situations. I've had people, like I said, I've had people in my family who went through this. Um, I've, I've, I've been through situations that are close to it. Like, um, I, I, so I, I, I just kind of took that information also just my own uh, day-to-day information that you take in. Like, what are people saying? You're like, you know, I see this big debate. Well, you know, well, what is this? And, you know, I know everybody isn't brought up the way I'm brought up or how do people look? So I just try to take all that information in. And um, with this particular song, I, after I came up with the first couple lines, I actually had like notes on both sides. I was like, okay, these are the pro things. These are the con things. So I kind of like put the notes down, like, okay, these is why people say this is wrong. And these are the things that people say. So then as I'm coming up with the song, I make sure like, I want to incorporate those points so I can make sure it's not just all like blah, blah, blah talk. I want to include some actual information from stuff that I've, that I've read and that I've seen, but I did do a little just kind of like brushing up like, okay, well, what do people say about this? So I did do like a little, a little research, but I would say like 80, 95, 80, 90% of it is just like information that I digested, you know, from just, you know, the topic itself. Yeah. You know, it's such a beautiful thing. I I was, I was, um, I talk about this all the time, but during the pandemic, Dave Chappelle um, was able to create like a bubble in, in Yellow Springs, Ohio, where he had artists come together and artists were tested all the time. So we could be together without masks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then built a, like a venue in a outdoor, like an outdoor venue in like this cornfield. Yeah, it was super ill. And he was just inviting all these different artists. And it was one of the days that we were chilling at the coffee shop. And there was a guy that came that was, seemed really tense. And he was listening mm-hmm. to me and Dave talk, and we were talking about America and politics and things like that. And mm-hmm. this guy's energy was really constricted. And we thought that he wasn't feeling us. And mm-hmm. so when he stood up, he came over and he was like, I'm really nervous, but I have to say something. And me and David is like, oh man, what's this about to be? And he was like, are you Brother Ali? Because man, I started reading the Quran and all, I, re- I read James Baldwin and da 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 da. Wow. And it was so dope, you know? And part of it is just my ego wanting being happy that Dave got to see that. Like, yeah, I got fans <laughs> out here too, man. You know what I mean? But one of the things that he said that, that really always sticks with me is like, man, you know, he was doing all of that because people need each other, because people need art, because artists need each other. Mm-hmm. And he said, the, yeah. the, in the time like this, the purpose of an artist and of art in general is to remind us all of our shared humanity. Mm. Like, obviously, we've got our perspective. He was like, anybody sitting here listening to this conversation, Dave is way more raw, like off, 
the mic than he is on the mic. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. Believe it or not, like by the time stuff gets to a, you know, uh, he's been very intentional about how to word things and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we were talking specifically about race and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, man, anybody hearing this, you know, they, you know, he, they may be really challenged by some of the things we're saying, but he's like, always when we step to the people, what Allah really put us here to do is to remind people of the fact that we're all human, mm. you know? Mm. And so, Facts. you know, when I hear a song like that, it's like, man, the fact that you really focus on the humanity of these people and that in that song in particular, like these are two people that at the end, it's like they really clearly love and care about each other. Like this dad really just wants the best for his daughter. He wants the mm-hmm. best for his family. He wants, but then the daughter is saying, like, you know, giving her perspective, but it 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 it's affecting her so much because she loves her father, you know what I'm saying? And because she wants to be on the same page with him. And yeah. you know, so so in observing a song like that, I'm like, man, really what comes out of all of this, the message that I took away f- f- with from it, and what I would hope people would get was that it's very possible for us to see the world from completely opposite vantage points mm-hmm. and still love each other. And the love will actually drive sometimes the debate mm-hmm. because of the shared, like the, the shared experience that we're having from these different perspectives. Um, if we didn't care, then we could walk away. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Um, What's well, a trip to me. I was just going to say that I, when you when I whenever I do a song like that too, I don't know, like whenever I like do a song where I'm like posing like different perspectives, it's like, and you know, when you post stuff on social media, you only have so much time. You know, the algorithm is so I'll just post I'll just post like the first verse and the second verse, and then I'll just get people just like, How dare you? And I'm just like, yo, did you listen to the whole song? Like, you know, it would it would put things in perspective with people, but it'll get it'll I don't know, I feel like the way things people are so divided sometimes when we forget about our own humanity that we just want to only hear our own perspective and i'm just like i'm that type of person where like i just feel like it's important to understand even if i don't agree with it i want to understand it so maybe i can just have a better understanding overall about why i feel the way i feel the way you feel the way they feel the way they feel and i've just always been like that like i want to understand where you're coming from i don't think it's just like I'm just stuck in this way and that's it and that's all. And I just feel like right now, especially particularly in this country, that's the way like a lot of times we just, we want just confirmation bias. We just want to hear what we want to hear. And I don't know, I just feel like it may not be the popular thing, but I feel like as an artist, it's important for me to do that. Unless I feel strongly about one thing that I'm going to only speak on that thing. But for the most part, I'm like, I'm going to show different sides of things, you know? Yeah, and you do that while also being very clear about what your perspective is. Like, I don't think anybody is. Well, not, that not really everybody. Listens. Not, yeah, not everybody. Everybody gets that. Yeah. So I'll share an experience I have, and then if you want to say please, something about it, please. you can. But please. you know, a lot of people look at the picture of the guy on the mic, and they're like, "Oh, that's me." So like, I have a lot of white fans that look, and they're like, "Oh, that's me on the mic." Mm-hmm. And then the second that I start talking about race. Um, it's like I, I'm disowned very quickly. Like the second that, you know, I start saying mm. these things, um, you know, it's like, and and for a very long time, 
I, I feel like it's it's less that way now. I feel like you know mm -hmm. after all of these years, the people that are still with me are very clear about the intention and like what we're doing here. But I definitely had a lot of uh, experience with people like, you know, they're showing up for whatever part of the presentation speaks to them. But then the second you start talking about, you know, race or class or economics or religion or anything like that, it's almost like you've offended them on such a deep level that you also, like, how dare you say something that I disagree with? Facts. And uh, they will disown you. Like, uh, they're no longer... Like I have, I had a dude who had my words tattooed on him, and then I I, I made an album cover where I was making salat on the American flag. This dude was in the military, and he was like, "I'm coming to the show in Boston. I'm gonna knock you out, wow. and I'm gonna knock you out with your words tattooed on my arm. Wow. Like I have your words from the last album tattooed on my arm, and I'm gonna use that arm to knock you the hell out." But so but I, did I wonder, he, but like, did what's he, your relationship? Did he not hear? I mean, you've always. Did he not? I mean, your name is Brother Ali. Like, <laughs> I mean, did he not? Do, like you say, I guess people only hear what they want to hear at that specific time. Yeah, and they're relating to things based on pictures, and they're relating to you know. I think it's just the the look. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, that guy is like me. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean that's the same thing that I feel. It's like, man, I've always been clear about this stuff. But yeah. people, I, what I've found is that people will even take lyrics and change it to mean what they want it to mean. <laughs> Facts. So like Uncle Sam, goddamn, they'll be like, yeah, man, that's what like, you know what I'm saying? What, what, whatever their individual thing is, like they will translate that song <laughs> according to their own view and project mm -hmm. that on you. And then the second you, uh, you know, do anything that violates their understanding of who you are, then it's like you're evil for that. Or maybe just the, the way they, maybe something has changed within them to where they're mm. hearing and seeing things differently, you know? Because mm. as an artist, mm. you know, we, we make the art, but we can't control the way people interpret it. So maybe the specific, the specific, like I'll, I'll give you, I'll give a super like uh, watered down, this isn't exactly the same, but it's like, it's like me with basketball, right? Being a fan of basketball, I still watch basketball. I have certain players, let's take for instance, at one point in time, I didn't like the stuff LeBron James was doing. You know what I mean? I was just like, why is he going to Miami? Da, 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 da. But then something changed along the way where maybe it was me. Like I was just like, you know what? Now I love LeBron. You know what I mean? He's, he's still the same guy pretty much. He's not like he's doing something drastic, but I, you know, so it's just like the way we perceive things, maybe it's something within ourselves and we're like, okay, you know what? I'm in a different space now. So that song, I was in a different space, so I remember that song affected me in this way. But now that I'm three or four years down the line and the world is changing and I'm changing the way I see the way the world is, now I don't like what I don't like what Brother Ali is doing. I, I don't like you no more. You know, maybe maybe it has something to do with the, the 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 fan or the person who's, you know, looking at the art. Do you ever feel like you're are you ever aware that you're creating the music based on the audience that's going to receive it? Yeah, that's a tricky one, right? I don't know about, I mean, that's a tricky, I try to do it in a healthy way, if that's possible. Because I feel mean? like you do, I feel like you do kind of need to be aware, but I don't feel like you need to be aware to the point where it's sacrificing you, if that makes sense, you and your integrity and your message. So I, I, I am aware, like, obviously, they are, you know, when I first was rapping, you, you know, we said things and did things, you know, things have changed a little bit. 
So I, I convey them, but I think at the core, I'm still the same person. Um, but I am aware because I do want to get better. You know, like I, I want to always get better as an artist, as a songwriter, as a, as a human being too. So I feel like, okay, well, can I do this better? Can I do this in a way that's better? I don't want to just be stuck in the same way, but I don't want it to be where I'm just like kind of bending and compromising because I feel like this is going to make me fit in better because I don't think that's positive either, right? Like, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I've, I've definitely looked at certain, there have been times where I wanted to convey, um, like where I wanted to like lead people. Like where mm-hmm. I realized, like basically, you know, I had this experience. So when I, first, I like I, you know, grew up in a almost all black environment, that's where I learned how to rhyme. That's where I learned how to be me and learned Islam and mm-hmm. became me. Mm-hmm. And then once I started doing underground hip hop music, then suddenly there's a lot of white people around. And mm-hmm. me and Brendan, who's the, the producer of the podcast, he was my DJ for the first 10 years. And so Dope. we were living in two worlds. So it was like we were opening for Rakim and Brand Nubian and Big Daddy Kane, all the people we mentioned. Mm. We would do that sometimes. And we had to really earn it when we got on those stages. Like it was facts. We yes. had to, people were just like, okay, I'm here to see one of the greatest of all time. Then I hear that somebody named Brother Ali is about to come out here. And now I'm seeing this make this make sense very fast. So it's like we had to do that. And we, love doing that you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and it was like but it was an uphill battle we had to like earn it every day mm-hmm. then we start touring with atmosphere and touring with atmosphere there's a full audience of white people that are just like we've been waiting for you all our life do you have the other side of this locket like you know what i'm saying it was like wow so that didn't need to be earned at all mm-hmm. and so and initially i felt weird about and then when i started headlining those were the people that were just really populating the shows. And I felt weird about it at first until some things just came together in me that made me realize like, oh, this is actually an amazing opportunity. This is maybe in a way, this is one of the things it's always been about. Mm. It's like Malcolm said in the mm. autobiography, the white lady that came to, to um, she, she came to Harlem to meet him and was like, I, I believe everything you say. I'm here to help what can I do? And he's like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he said, later, if you really believe you are from the community, that's where this problem emanates. And so mm-hmm. you, you minister to your people. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is dope. And so it's been a whole mm-hmm. process. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then Dr. Cornell West was like, well, do you love them? I'm like, I don't know that yet. Cause mm-hmm. he's like, in order to lead the people, you got to love the people. Mm-hmm. So it's been this whole spiritual journey and it's dope. I love it. It's beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there were points where Along the way, I was like, okay, I'm going to instruct <laughs> in the music. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna model what I think this should look like. And and when I look back on those moments, they feel corny to me. Mm. Those are the only moments where I'm like, <laughs> when you're trying to do it, huh? Yeah, when I when I was like, hey everyone, what if we all did this? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like when I look back at those moments, I'm just like, nah, man, that wasn't it. Mm-hmm. Not like that. It's got to be from a sincere place, right? It's got to just kind of flow naturally, you know. If you, I know what you mean. Yeah, and I just, you know, with with just the, the just the like sheer topics alone that you've covered, and like also the the different styles of music that you've rhymed to, the different patterns that you've done, the different like really know to, and I don't know if people necessarily catch this when they just see you barring out on sway. But mm-hmm. the the 
you cover a lot of ground in terms of style and topic and you know uh tempos and all of these things like you're you're doing so much and so I, I I wonder sometimes if those things are lost on people, and it's mm. it's really beautiful to me that you always continue to like you always insist on that like you always insist on having a message and you insist on always challenging yeah. yourself and doing new things. Yeah, one of the things that comes up is you know in, in all of these things. It's one of the things that you're super real about, or at least this is my perception is mm -hmm. you have like many of us, most of my tribe are like people that are amazing. And mm -hmm. it's not that we're not successful. It's not that we're not respected. It's not that we're that no one acknowledges us. Cause obviously mm -hmm. you got K Slay and Fat Joe in a room saying, this is that dude. And those are two of the most hip hop people that ever lived. Rest in peace to K Slay. Rest in peace. So, so it's not that you're not recognized, but one of the things that I feel like I hear as a theme in the music is like, you know that you're also that you're being slept on like you know that mm. you're giving the culture and the world all of this amazing work and it feels to me like there's an acknowledgement there that like y'all are y'all are sleeping mm -hmm. and so I, I wonder am i perceiving that correctly and do you have an idea of like what would that even look like to be to be fully recognized and for people to have access to the music and like what would that no. mean? I have no no I have no idea I don't know <laughs> mm. I don't know um, but I think it means something along the line of I just I'm you know I'm figuring it out I don't have the answer to that no I don't um, I'm figuring it out I'm trying to understand it. Uh, I know I love doing music. I love challenging myself. I've I've always had to earn everything. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just used to that. I'm just built that way. Um, sometimes I try. Sometimes I just try. I have to even calm myself down. Be like, yo, relax. It's cool. It's chill. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I know that I'm just automatically conditioned that way. So earning earning respect, earning that is kind of like my go-to you know what i mean like that's that's my go-to to be like not saying it's easy for me because it takes work it takes study you know to to be able to go you know you know we studied this hip-hop you know for a long time i've studied it i've i've dedicated you know a, a a huge a huge chunk of my life to to developing my skills and being the best artist and the best mc i can be because i i, I love what it can do um but I know I'm just so used, I'm conditioned to that. It's like, uh, it's like I've heard Mike Tyson talk. Like, you know, I've watched some of his documentaries where he says like, yo, when I'm like, when he's in that zone, you know, he's just like, he all, all he's like, he's when he's training, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly training. I'm constantly in that zone. So it's like, it, to me, it's come almost easier that way because I know when I have a specific goal, like I'm trained and I'm focused on this. When it's when things are relaxed is when I feel kind of weird. I'm like, yo, what's going on? You know, but I know that that's a part of it too. So I don't really know what that is until I get it. You know, I, I've I've gotten glimpses of it. You know, I've I've had the opportunity to you know work with people like yourself and the tour and have people come out and embrace, it, and that's great. You know, but at the end of the day, I know I'm just kind of wired to know like, all right, there's more, there's more I got to do. Um, I'm still gonna get my message across. I'm still gonna get you know do, do what i need to do but at the same time i know that i still have to go out here 
and uh and um and really let people know and let and get and grab people when they may not necessarily know they need to be grabbed in a, in a way i guess metaphorically speaking i know a lot of people that like that are in this position where like you know we have something to offer and it's like we just want the world to have access to it if they want it yeah you know what i mean not that we're trying to be forced down anybody's throats but it's like man like we know that there are people out there that need like how many more people out there you know need a song mm -hmm. like the hardest the hardest one song ever or mm -hmm. how many more people need the planned parenthood song or all of the other things that you that you know that we offer and like man we just want people to have access to that mm -hmm. and like i said so many of my tribe like those are the people that i relate to the most i mean for years like black thought was the illest for years mm. and then one random you know what I'm saying? Like he went and barred out one day for Funkmaster Flex. And like suddenly everybody's like, Black hey thought. man, it turns out Black Thought. <laughs> and your Black Thought has been on like, what are you the talking most about? popular late night TV show. <laughs> yes, yeah, like he's been he's been right there. Just being his amazing self. Like he's never had a subpar bar in 25 years. <laughs> Come on. He's been amazing all the time. And then suddenly like this one thing and like suddenly now black, now, now we're going to respect Black Thought. Bro, I wasn't even- And he's been on mainstream TV every night. Not to cut you off. I wasn't even surprised by that Black Thought freestyle. Like I was just like, yo, this is Black Thought. This is what he does. Like he does this all day on records. Like, I mean, it's incredible. I'm not downplaying what he did because it's incredible. But I was not shocked, you know, like at all. It's funny, I was with him not long after that. Um, and he was sitting there watching TV. He watches a lot of TV. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, I'm so happy. Like he was like in the moment still. Like I remember I walked in his hotel room and the hat that he was wearing was was sitting on the on the uh -huh. like dresser. Wow. And I was just like, oh, I, I was like, oh man, can I can I can I rub the hat? Like get some of the vibes <laughs> off the off the, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, I'm like, am I bugging or is that just like what you've always done? And I was asking him, like, how do you feel about the fact that the world's embracing you now? Mm -hmm. And man, I can't really describe it, but just, he just, he never took his eyes off the TV and he just did this shrug. And I was just, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's what it feels like. Yeah. When you've just been ill forever, you've just been, you know, reek G's forever. And then now suddenly, you know, in your late forties, everybody wants to, you know that's I mean? amazing but have that's you ever had the thought that i catch myself having this thought where it's like man how whack would it be if i die and then suddenly all these people start you know <laughs> what i mean like oh this dude was amazing you know i try not to think i try not to think about that i mean you know that 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 creeps in i you know i i try to keep my i try to keep my head to the pavement and keep going you know what i mean that's just but you know what that type of stuff inspires me like I, when I saw that, mm -hmm. like I probably watched that freestyle a million times. Like, and that's just like, I was just like, not. I was just like, I just loved the fact that that was getting that shine, and it just inspired me. Like, yo, okay, this is somebody like when 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 the things when the when the light hits you at the right time, it it's it can happen. You know what I mean? And this is like he said, this is somebody who's successful. This is somebody who's toured the world, had platinum records. Who's you know on a late night every night on a you know the biggest late night comedy you know show ever and the fact for him to do that and to come back to that it almost was just like poetic that that's that's what people like you know what I mean for him to like I'm glad he got that moment and because 
that's what he's so dope at. You know, and he's a dope singer. He's a dope songwriter. He's a dope performer, like all that kind of stuff. But that is what I'm just so glad that people stop and say, yo, are y'all paying attention to this? You know what I mean? It's amazing. You know, and I don't know if you saw, but uh, he did a, a lecture, like a talk not long after that. Or maybe he even did it before this, but he was saying that he's always had this feeling of of self-doubt. And so he never allowed himself to be the front man. He always let Amir be the front man of the roots. And mm. he always wanted to be a little bit outside the spotlight. And he, he realized mm. that he had been almost keeping himself there. And then when that moment happened, you see, after all these years of like not having any solo records, like suddenly, mm-hmm. like every year, you you get a new solo record. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and he started, um, you know, he wrote in his like directing this, this like hip hop Broadway production. So dope. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, that that's the flip side of it. That like when you see something like that happen, um, you know, that, that, that really just opened up even his maybe possibilities for what he saw for himself. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, um, when Sean Price passed away, Rest I think Jay-Z came. Yeah, man. Rahim Mahalai. He was a really... Did you know P? I met him just... I, I rocked a couple shows with him and R.A. That's, I only met him like, you know, about three, four times. Yeah. I didn't get to know him until like the last couple years of his life. Really beautiful brother. Um, Likewise, yeah. But like seeing him... Uh, you know, the outpouring of love for him when he passed. And like, I, you know, Jay-Z donated money to the family. And I think maybe Eminem wow. did too. You know what I'm wow. saying? He's like big names. That's just like, man, you know, for so many of us, you know, you think about like Pharrell Munch had that, you know, that that one Simon Says moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's just been Pharrell Munch for 25 years. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You think about all of these people that just have these amazing moments. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that I that I'm curious about for you is if if you were to have something that, like, when you look back on all of this and you've got this legacy of music, you got this library of music that you continue to make. Mm-hmm. What would you want? What would you want people to be able to take away from, like, if you had to to, to boil it down and summarize it, like, this is what Locksmith left behind him. Mm. Oh, that's a good man. That's a that's a tough question. Um, I'm just all right. I'm just going off the top right now since you asked me that. Integrity, love, family. You know, I hope I hope it means that. Just I just love where I'm from. I love Richmond. I love what it, I love what it did to me. What it meant for me, good and bad. I'm so glad that I came up where I came up when I came up. Uh, that's why I just always just try to like talk about, you know, my city where I come from and my family. You know, I hope I hope my family for whenever that is, my extended family, yeah, I hope they are can go back and be like, it can make my family proud and my extended family though. You know, what I mean the human race. They could be like, okay, this guy was compassionate. He spoke from a compassionate place and the integrity and the sincerity was there. Cause I, I, at the end of the day, that's what art, you know, that's what, that's what good art does. I feel like, you know, makes people think it makes people cry. makes people have emotions. And, uh, and I hope it brings people closer to their families and closer to the creator, you know? Um, cause that's, 
as you know, as we mature, I feel like that's the direction that I'm just even going more and more towards. So, yeah, I don't know. That was kind of long winded, but I think that's what it was. I think that's what it is. No, that's a beautiful moment, or that's a beautiful, you know, a, a beautiful explanation of it. Um, one last thing that I'll ask before we, before we, and inshallah we could do it again because I feel like we're just inshallah. starting to scratch the surface. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I know that I have moments where I always think to myself, you know, wrestling with like this idea of success and, and all of this stuff. But I have mm-hmm. certain moments that I remember and I'm like, you know, I think about people more successful than me outwardly, you know, like somebody, mm-hmm. you know, maybe got a Grammy doing something similar to what I do that I know I mm-hmm. inspire them and they they never get around to mentioning, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, there are certain moments that I have that will be, you know, memories for as long as I have mem- the, the ability to remember mm-hmm. that I wouldn't trade for anything. And maybe mm-hmm. they're private moments, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm. That that are just like, you know, like the the the, the lighting guy, like we you finished your set the other day and the, the this like 50 year old white man that did the lights and something about his affect seemed like there may have been a mental health thing happening there. Like did, you were picking mm-hmm. up on that too, right? Where he was just mm-hmm. kind of like, mm-hmm. he had this mm-hmm. kind of affect where he was just like, he had a difficult time interacting with people, but he had to mm-hmm. come and tell you like, thank you for that song. Cause he was like, that happened to me. And I'm like, man, I wonder if this, he came, he came up to me. This guy had- he came up to me again as I was about to drive off in the car too. Again. I'm, I mean, you know, so I just wonder like what, what are, you know, one or some of those moments for you that's like on a heart level, you know, I, would I trade this for a Grammy or for a platinum record or for a Billboard hit or like, yeah. probably not. Like, that's one of the things that I feel like we share is like, I would love to get those things and I'm going to keep at it. Like, I'm going to keep bumping my head until we figure something out. Till maybe we have that like black thought on, on, mm. uh, on Funk Flex moment. Mm-hmm. But even if that never comes. Like these are the things that Allah tailor made for me mm. to touch me and and like you know these things are enough, yes, yeah, yeah, I've had um I can remember one moment in particular um an individual came up to me, and I think they had been like messaging me like through like Facebook or something, but you know you get messages you're not really thinking so came up to me and was like, yo, and this was before the show. This was like at loading. And, and she was there like waiting, you know, to, for the doors to open. And she was just like, yo, that song, I guess she was at the time I was there before. I was like, that song, hardest song ever. It just means so much to me. And I've just been dealing with a lot. And she was uh, transgender, you know I mean? She was just like, you know, I've been struggling with this, but your song has helped me because I've, I've been through something very similar. But hearing that, and I'm just, I'm coming here to see that song. And she had, I think she had her brother or somebody else there to like kind of comfort her. And she, and that, so I just sat there and talked to her, you know, for a few minutes. And then after the show, talked to her and I believe whoever her friend was that was with her. And I was just like, yo, man, like you just can't, you can't pay for that. You can't buy that type of, you know, effect that, you know, I don't know, that, that just stood out to me, you know, and it was cold too. It was cold. <laughs> And they're thanking you. And they're like, thank you yeah. so much. You don't know what you've done for me. And you're like, yo, 
you just validated all of this sacrifice and hard work that I've everything put in. you you yeah, just this, made it all worth it. You have no idea. This wasn't a big show. I think the first time I went there, I was with I think I came there with like somebody else, and it was like a packed show. So then I came back just as a, as my own like headlining tour, and it was small. You know, it wasn't a lot of a lot of people there, but it was a good crowd. And just and I was just like, damn man, it wasn't. But then for that person to come up there and be like, yo, this means so. It's like you know, it was worth coming here just for that you know just to see that that it meant that much to somebody sorry to cut you off no nah, man no nah, that's a beautiful thing that's a beautiful thing well man I, I feel like uh we really should do this again it would be dope yeah. to do it in person too maybe we'll absolutely do it, uh, yeah. when we're, do it in person next when we're in the studio together or on tour yeah. together or something like that inshallah inshallah but man i just i, I just I have so much incredible respect for you. It's so weird that I'm just now getting to know you. Like I said, I just feel like Likewise. we're already so connected. But Likewise, man, I just man. I'm I'm very grateful, man. And and you know, watching you, a lot of the questions that I had are for myself because of the fact that like I see how diligent you are and yeah. how giving you are and how you seem to be completely not phased or deterred or no, deterred. No, I'm, I'm phased, man. Like, I'm de- I'm determined, bro. I struggle just like just like you, just like everybody else, man. Like I, I, I you know, I, I quit every day. I'm like, ah, I quit. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I'm yeah. just like, and then like literally, like before the show, I was just like, man, I, I can't do nothing, man. I, 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 I'm done. I can't do this. And then you know, I, I was like, I'm taking a break. I, I, I've been doing this too long. I gotta stop. And then I'll come home, and then I'll just be like. Uh, let me go listen to some beats. You know what I mean? Then I'll just start rapping and something will come up. You know, you get inspired. So, um, but but before I go on, I just got to say, bro, I appreciate you so much. We got to do another time because I got so many things that I want to ask you. There's so much information. There's so many things I want to talk to you from entertainment, music, art form, Islamic standpoint. There's so much but um, I appreciate you. Like, I'm so honored that you would bring me up on here and ask me these questions and allow me to just like give my story. Um, when you're when you're so great and amazing at what you do, like, because I didn't get a chance to like really get into that because you were ask, asking me some great questions. But like, I've been a fan of yours. Um, not only is just what you can do as a rapper, but just what you stand for, you know. Um, and I just been a fan of that for so long. And to see that we have so many mutual things in common and so many mutual friends and brothers in common, it just was like, it just like, it, it just, you know, not to get too sentimental, it just warms my heart. And uh, it's just super dope. So I, and I just got to thank you for who you are and what you do as an MC and as an artist and as a Muslim and as just as a human being doing what you do. It means a lot. Yeah, we need each other, man. Because it's like doing what we do is hella lonely. Even the people that support us, it's like... And the people that are with us and the people that roll with us. And like, it's a very lonely thing. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's like, man, we need each other. There's certain things that only, that (laughs) there's certain things that only we're going to be able to, 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 to to get, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, yeah, man, it's a beautiful thing to be continued, inshallah. Allah give you a long life. um, And, you know, bless your mother. We didn't even get to really talk about Mm -hmm. mom. Inshallah, we'll talk about that in the future. But may Allah raise her to the highest rank and, uh, you know, make everything good for her and, you know, bless all of your family. And may Allah give you a long life and also give you 
everything that you've dreamed, everything you've prayed for in words and everything your heart has prayed for, but your mouth has been too shy to pray for, all of that be on your wildest inshallah, dreams, inshallah. Likewise, brother. And um, yeah, hope to inshallah. see you soon, man. Man, this was such a dope opportunity to connect with Locksmith. I really hope that we can do it more. Please be on the lookout for music. Please check out Locksmith. And an artist like that, it's really important to support them. And you support them by spreading the word and streaming and all that stuff. But if you really want to support artists like Locksmith and Saw Rock and Mumu Fresh and Brother Ali, the best way to do it is to connect with them definitely on their website, sign their mailing list, uh, follow them on social media, and then when they put out merch, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. We get frac- We get a fifth of a cent for every stream on, on streaming services most of the time. It's almost nothing. Like we post these numbers and it's almost nothing. Um, buy their concert tickets. When they come to your area, buy the tickets. You know what I'm saying? Um, and go and, sh- and show them love and support them. Reach out to them, let them know how you feel, but buy that merch and buy those tickets. That's how we live. That's how we feed our children. That's how we're able to continue doing what we do. So uh, check out our brother Locksmith and support him and and uh, the amazing things that he does online and you know engage with. He does contests where like he'll put out an amazing song and then he'll put out the instrumental and let anybody rhyme on it. And then he'll share it and he has contests and things like that. So all really, really incredible stuff. But we're so very grateful to uh, to our brother, the locksmith, for coming through and blessing the Travelers podcast. Special thanks to Amna Mirza. Special thanks to Mansur Panawala. Special thanks to Darian Washington. Special thanks to Ant. Special thanks to Mark from Medina. Special thanks to Aida Rashid. Special thanks to all the people that contribute to this show Uh Traveler's Podcast is produced by Brendan Kelly, a.k.a. BK1. Speaking of support, check out BK1 and Benzilla, Radio De Canabao. Super dope. I got a song on there with the great Scarface. You know what I'm saying? Incredible stuff on there. Uh, and check out Bones and Beaker, his other musical project. Uh, you know, special shout out and much love to Brendan Kelly, BK1. And uh, this show is a product of Traveler's Media. Thank you so much for being here. Peace be upon you. May you be whole. May, may mercy be your reality. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.